Latu, Barada, uh, Peanut, uh, Popcorn, uh, Puddle. Uh, God, it's a, it's a P word. It's definitely a P word. Uh, Klaatu, Barada, uh, <coughs> okay then, that's it. Well, that, was, that was very good, Griffin. I didn't say it. You see, what was funny... I know, I know. I is know. the bit I is understand. not saying the one word I'm supposed to say. Um, Did you get I it? I would do that. I would do that, though, too. Do you know what I mean? I'd forget... Oh, you, you identify with him in that moment. I'd forget Absolutely. the word. I know immediately Absolutely. I would. I wouldn't yeah. write it down. And then in the yeah. moment when I have to say the fucking phrase, yeah. I'd fuck yeah. it up. I think that's what, what I relate to the most is the confidence of like, yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I got it. Three words, I got it. <laughs> uh, David, do you think you would have remembered? I would have remembered it because it's Klaatu Barada Nikko. That's the only... Have I ever told you my The Day the Earth Stood Still story? It's not a really exciting story which is probably no is this a story about what you were doing on the day the earth stood still (laughs) no luckily that day hasn't happened yet um my mom would is not a genre film fan in particular right like she has only seen one star wars movie in her life and it was she's seen two i'm sorry she's seen two she's seen revenge of the sith when we did a commentary live right and she saw force awakens at the zigfeld yeah, well, I can't remember. But like, okay. she she was like, I got to see that just because it's everyone's talking about it, and so we yeah. saw the Force Awakens. That's the but no, not a genre film person. Okay, okay. You know, if she's showing me a classic movie when I'm a kid, she's showing me comedies. She's show, right, sure. you know, she's showing me other stuff. But then she would always be like, God, there's this one movie I love that I saw when I was a kid, and like, you know, and then one day the NFT in Britain was doing. Don't you do the bet? Was doing the day the Earth stood still. NFT. Right? That's the. Yeah, I'm too distracted by that to go for. The I know it's thing. called the BFI now. It used to be called the NFT, the National Film Theater. I know beyond that. fungible <laughs> I- exactly. items. Right, 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 right. And she's like, "That's the movie. That's the movie. Let's go see it." I'll, uh, you know, this is like oh, the wow. sci-fi movie I love. So we went yeah. and saw it. Saw it. I think I liked it a lot. I think and we mm-hmm. walked down. She was like. Well, that's not the movie I was thinking of. That was pretty good, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't that wasn't it. And then later, we finally figured out that she actually meant the movie "The Day the Earth Caught Fire," which Weird. is another British sci-fi movie that is also great. That yeah. is also, you know, it, it's it's the reason she liked it. It's it's actually a newspaper movie. Like it's about people working at a London newspaper when mm-hmm. the Earth, you know, what the sun does something insane or what, you know, I can't remember what it is. Uh, it's a Daily anyway. Express movie. Yeah. No, I, my, uh, Day the Earth Stood Still is one of the only sci-fi movies I remember my mother speaking highly of when I was well, a child. No, she was liked, a, it was a classy horror movie. I mean, right. sci-fi movie, sorry. She liked that and she liked all the versions of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but I, but I think the original one as well. Like, those are the two concepts that caught on. It is funny that it's like, uh, famous phrase from that movie, right? Classic then the Evil Dead uh, franchise riffs on it substantially. And then Star Wars does as well. There are like the three skiff aliens. When they're oh, on the skiff yeah, and right. Han is like fighting off Boba Fett, I think the three aliens are named Klaatu, Barada, and Nikto. Right, or at right, least that's right, their species right. names. Yeah, well, it's sort of, This is clearly know, a, a, a movie and a, a, a series of words that made an impression on a lot of people who watched it when they were young and then went on to make films of their own. Right, it's it's the movie we all came out of or whatever. Yes, you're, you are correct. 
Uh, anyway, uh, our guests can talk anytime, by the way. Anytime. I mean, you know, anytime. It's totally, you know, <laughs> if you want to burst right in, that's totally fine. I've never uh, seen it. Never seen The Day the Earth Stood Still? No, I know what it is, but i just never seen it. Gort? You're not a Gort fan? Gort? Guess not. Gort's the big robot. Gort. Oh, man. Um, and then in the remake... Gort's like a nano thing, right? He's like yeah, nanotechnology. Every fucking two thousands remake, that was what they came up with. Can it be they a cloud like, or can it be a lot yeah, of little things? Turns I'm into name bugs. My son Gort. <laughs> sure, do it. <laughs> Gort Hosley. You've it's already said name. that you want to name uh, your son Droopy McCool. That was your, I think, the first time on the podcast Correct. that you've invoked a future name for your child. Uh, you, you're in a very serious relationship. Have you discussed at any point in time? Like, you know, I know it's a big conversation to have, but like, I just want you to know if we're ever going to have children, our na- their names are going to be Droopy McCool Hosley and Gort Hosley. I'm waiting for the right moment. <laughs> cool. I haven't, I haven't sprung it on her yet, but cool. Yeah, I'm sure it'll go over great. Did you uh, guess uh, Eva? Jeez, I can just say your name. <laughs> we don't have a rule guessed. where I can't say your name. No, no, uh, you, no did you see the remake uh, of The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves? Did you see it? No, I've never seen any of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Wow. Is it the remake anything? Uh, the remake is not much. I, okay. I mean, I mean it's, it's okay. It feels like it should be a little better than it is, right? Yeah. It, it, Keanu is well cast in that Klatau, who he's playing, is sort of supposed I to be kind of, you know, kind of robotic and weird. Jennifer like, Connelly know. and John Hamm and Jaden Smith. It was early Hamm in movies. You know, yeah. it was okay. like we're on like season two of Mad Men and it was like, why isn't this guy in every movie? You know? And hmm. so when he showed up, you're like, Hey, it's ham. Hmm. I've heard of him on Rye, but ham in movies. Okay. No, I just, I've that... heard of one and I hadn't heard of the other. I, I'm just, I'm not trying to make a joke. I just <laughs> genuinely, I've heard of one thing. is great. And Thank truly you. you look, it's like you're, it's like this cartoon kind of animated living room. It's like almost like squunch, squunch, Bob square pants is, like living room. It's got it's that vibe. It's the Evil Dead cabin, Ben. Oh, it's the cabin. okay. Because sure. it was an escape room I did oh. over Zoom during lockdown that was an Evil Dead themed escape room that was being run out of the Chaz in Seattle. Did you and successfully escape? Yes. And then, oh, yes, yes. And they even had a Bruce Campbell like impersonator that wow. you'd have to interact with on a like a little. It was great. It was like. There's different ways people did escape rooms over Zoom, but this one was just that there was a guy running around with a camera in the escape room going like, what should I do? What What do you want me to do? Uh. <laughs> and he just kind of yelled at him, like, go over to the mirror. And he'd be like, okay. And he was kind of playing this, like, hick goofball character. So he was just like, I just came in this cabin from outside. He's had a little, he had overalls and stuff. But, wow. but he was like Larry Middleman from Arrested Development, where it's like he's just wearing a camera and you're sort of like living vicariously yeah. through him. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, oh, go back to the lock. Yeah, try this. He'd be like, okay. That's fun. That that it does sound fun. It also sounds it sounds like trying to play a video game with five people though, right? Where you're all like <laughs> shouting different instructions or something. I don't know. It might frustrate yeah. me. I did it exactly one time. And then I was like, right. well, I've done that activity <laughs> the way it shouldn't be done. <laughs> and should we go right. back to the fact that saying the words SpongeBob SquarePants seemed to give Ben a nervous breakdown? Or should we just Yeah, I don't know that? what happened to me. It like <laughs> I couldn't yeah. like speak. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it hit a spot that I think 
in my brain is maybe like there's just like it registered SpongeBob SquarePants and then somewhere that like that chain got broken and it just mm. yeah, it really I like uh <laughs> it's just spun out. Wow. I, I don't want to force that. your hand, but maybe your third son should be named SpongeBob Hosley. <laughs> Then was it like when you're like about to say someone's name to their face who you've known for years and then your brain's like, that's not their name. Short circuited or whatever. And it is their name, though. But then you then you like swallow their name because you're about to just say you you just panic because that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just the nature of the name being kind of words just jammed together. And it just didn't (laughs) sound like I was like, am I saying gibberish right now? But then (laughs) we got there. We got there and we're exploring it. And I love that. Ben, you're showing your ignorance. SpongeBob SquarePants is a traditional Nordic name. It is not just <laughs> words smushed together, okay? Check your ignorance. This okay. is an educational podcast in which we check our privilege, and our ignorance is called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Uh, and it's about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce baby and this is a mini series on the films of sam Raimi. it's called podcast me to hell today we are talking about army of darkness the third film in his evil dead trilogy and his the second film in his early 90s universal dark in the title duology <laughs> i guess so guess it is funny right. that he makes like evil dead evil dead I- to dark man army of darkness I do think it's bizarre that this movie is not called Medieval Dead, right? Like, oh, so good. Like, yeah. I know that was the original idea way back when they wanted Evil Dead Two to be set in the past, right. and then I guess they dropped it. And Army of Darkness was some title they came up with that they then dropped and added Dead by Dawn to Evil Dead Two instead. And then mm-hmm. they, but like, why isn't this called Medieval Dead? Don't you think this would have made ten more million dollars, like if it was called Medieval Dead? Yeah, my memory of it was that because it was like new rights holders, Universal making this one, then they didn't make the previous films. They were like, we want this to stand on its own. We want this to be an entry point. We don't want people to feel like they're jumping into the third movie. But it's a better title. Yeah, it's it's a better title. Yeah, but yeah, we're here to talk Army of Darkness, um, a movie that I feel like I don't know about you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh I didn't watch for years because I, as a teenager, thought this movie's reputation was straight up bad. Mm. Like my my oh. that was my that was my like I think I watched Evil Dead's one and two, and I had somehow absorbed like Army of Darkness not worth it. Like it's it's a Godfather three wow. situation. Don't even bother. Like they 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 messed it up. Like I must have read something somewhere that said this at some point. So it took That's me years to see Army wild. of Darkness. Yeah. David, I had the exact same thing, but for Evil Dead One. Oh, where it was like don't don't even it's it's it, they hadn't figured it out yet. Like the, the second one's so right. much yeah. better. Yeah, it's right, not right, fun. Right. It's just gross. It's right. just scary. And I but I watched Army of Darkness like hundreds of times as a teenager. Well then, well that's why well, you're then. here. That's really nice. Yeah. It's very 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 kind of you to say that. I'm overwhelmed. I, you are a classic. Anytime Eva Anderson is in my, you know, like the, the the episode pops up, some new show, and it's with Eva Anderson, I'm like, oh, okay, well, appointment. We're 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 stopping the current episode of whatever I'm listening to to listen to this. That's Aww. that's the Eva Anderson touch. It's true. Aww. 
Sorry. Look, I didn't mean to yell. And, and the bias here might be that David and I both love podcasts that are hosted by people you're good friends with that have you on a <laughs> sure. lot. But I do think there is a consistency to any time you're a guest in terms of your passion, but also the preparation you put into everything. You go very deep on whatever subject you're talking about. And and uh, there, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll say two things. One, I was at a hotel a couple years ago, I guess. And they sort of had their like selection of books like in the lobby that are mostly, I guess, just sort of like interior design, but ostensibly you could read if you just are trying to chill out in the lobby of a hotel. And they had a volume of the Fantagraphics Dick Tracy collection. And I got so amped for a moment that it was the one volume which you've talked about on Podcast the Ride being out of print and costing thousands of dollars, which features the Moon Maid arc. And I had to explain to the person I was dating at the time <laughs> the arc of me going, holy shit, holy shit, is that, is that? And then taking this Dick Tracy book off a wall in a hotel lobby and like flipping through it frantically and then being crestfallen. And she was like, what just happened internally? That's And the whole time in my head I was running, if this is it, do I take it? Do you steal it? Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Um, do you want to hear something interesting about that that mysterious Moonmade comic? Please. My my brother Dashel, uh, shout out to Dash, uh, fan of the pod. Um, he found me the missing the missing Dick Tracy. He found it like a guy in Australia had bought a bunch oh, of them, and so he sent it yeah. to me for my birthday. But then it didn't arrive. So he emailed the guy. So I ended up, the guy ended up sending it again. So now I have two copies of the missing Dick Tracy. Wow, Nick Dick Tracy. I you know I, I I still read Dick Tracy the you know the daily three panel comic. Justin, cool. of course you do. Right. Of course you. Do. I love Dave. that cup of coffee and your dick in the morning. <laughs> Griff, it's funny you say that. It just introduced a new villain called coffee head whose head what? looks like a cup of coffee what? It doesn't really, oh, his, head, his head looks like a mug i guess is the better way to put it here i will but is there coffee inside of it no he's just you know that's the whole thing with dick tracy they don't think that hard it's just like a guy's head will look like a screw and they're like his name's Screwhead. you know like that's yeah, sort of shouldn't it be mug head how do you know what's called he is says they call me coffee head now it's coffee with a y <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Maybe to just kind of let me see if I can. Does hear. he have two? Does he have one big ear? I, I I'm looking at pictures here. It looks like both ears are handled. But shaped. you know, but he's right, in profile, it should be one tiny know. ear. Okay, sure. I guess he's mostly they're playing the angles on it. So he's like just... a sippy cup. He should be called sippy cup head. He looks like a fucking sippy cup. They should give him the little like Tintin flip at the front of his hair, so it looks like the little nozzle of the sippy right. cup. And he's got two. Big I'm putting it in the chat. I'm putting okay. it in the chat. There okay. it is. You can click sippy on cup. it now. They call me Coffee Head. Wow. Uh, and the uh, wow, the idea of this villain is that he used to own a coffee shop. I guess. Oh, okay. so he's well, okay. a coffee. Okay. He's sort of like you know in Mulholland Drive. When uh, when Badalamenti, the, the the composer, he plays like the mobster who mm. drinks the coffee and spits it out, right? The mobster mm -hmm. who cares that much about a good espresso. Sure. Uh, he's attractive. You're into coffee he's, heads? He's one of the more he's handsome Dick Tracy Yeah, villains, he's right? way hotter than I thought he would be. Is it he's because, like... Eva, do you like a square jaw? Because this guy's got like a set square jaw. <laughs> like... He does, but he also has kind of tortured, dreamy eyes. 
Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. he's got a, a frown. Yeah, like f- f- full kissable lips. I was gonna say the lips are really <laughs> yeah. Because every other Dick Tracy villain looks, I mean, really unfortunate. Am I allowed to say this? Yeah. That's not, you're not, that's not a hate crime to say Dick Tracy villains are ugly. (laughs) Am I kink shaming by saying that Dick Tracy villains are by and large very ugly? Uh, Yeah, they're they're, they're not the handsomest bunch. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, I suppose it's a retrograde problem with Dick Tracy where you can judge a book by its cover in Dick Tracy, right? Like that's pretty much the idea. Training children to hate the ugly. Right, exactly. Is Karen Hahn going to send me a bunch of angry texts telling me that she has a crush on the influence? (laughs) (laughs) On flat top? I mean, that's that you're right. It's not just it's it's double whammy. It's children should not trust unattractive people and they should focus on whatever they're weird facial flaw is and say that's their name <laughs> yes. or whatever right it's their defining <laughs> characteristic it it over it usurps every other aspect of their personality you know i love uh the film dick tracy i love the Beatty movie i think it's so cool to, and weird. to be clear not not the movie we're talking about today a movie we will but inevitably i wanted to pit, i was but like you know that movie came out in 1990 right this is 92 raimi's mm-hmm. probably too small for it but like you can imagine a raimi dick tracy around like dark man's got a lot of dick tracy going on like he he yeah. would have made you know he, the man was sort of making living cartoons at the time right like he he could have made a dick tracy well yes and and the weird arc of this movie is of course like they want to do this premise for evil dead 2 they're like that sounds too nerdy uh he makes he he really wants to direct uh the shadow which we talked about in the previous episode i assume uh he really wants to make the shadow he doesn't get the job he makes dark man as sort of his angry like not breakup movie but his rejection movie of like i want to show you what i could have done with this sort of pulpy noir film which was that whole post batman trend of everyone going they don't want more superheroes they want more like two-fisted comic strip heroes. right they want yeah. 30s radio drama energy right now F- the phantom right. was around them too right phantom. with billy zane mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah and like Weirdly, Dark Man is one of the more successful of that wave by being spiritually in line with that, but not literally being an adaptation of anything and also being present day rather than like full pastiche. Um, The Phantom movie, of course, right? That's the famous situation where they were like, we played it straight. And the the guy who wrote it was like, wait, what? I wrote that as a comedy. What are are you guys talking about? It was Joe Dante. Joe Dante was going to make it as a comedy. And then they fired him took his same script and played it straight. Everyone except Treat Williams, who, if you've seen that movie, knows exactly what's going on. He is Xander Drax is a funny villain. But Billy Zane is not. Poor Billy Zane. (laughs) Because it, oh, yeah. You feel bad for Billy Zane in that movie. But Treat Williams, if you guys don't know, one of the best Twitter accounts out there. Really? Oh, my God. Oh, man, I got to check it out. The most sincere dad tweets of all, like just like absolutely <laughs> straight faced. I mean, you, you might have to turn off retweets because it's a lot of like sincere retweeting as well. But my brother just sends me mm. great treat content all the time. We used to both be big Everwood fans. So we, we've always loved treat. He's awesome. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, it is funny though that yeah, like Dick Tracy was supposed to be like the new Batman, right? And then you have Rocketeer, you have Shadow, you have Phantom. 
I guess Phantom's like kind of the last in that run. That's 96. By the time this movie comes out, pretty much that trend had like largely petered out. But there's a scenario which I imagine the Sam Raimi Dick Tracy would have been more successful than the Beatty Dick Tracy because Raimi probably just would have leaned fully into the goofiness. Whereas at the time, I think people were very confused by the tone of the Beatty Dick Tracy and the weird mashup of like the cartooniness and his weird prestige, serious minded sensibilities. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like uh in retrospect, insane how how serious Dick Tracy takes itself. So serious with that visual aesthetic. Yeah. And it's exactly what makes the movie fascinating. Right. It's why it's why it's interesting. Right. If it was art, right. it would probably be less interesting. And, and but, yeah, but I yeah. think you're right that like Sam Raimi could have made that same movie with that cast and that script, and it probably would have been more popular with children. But right. imagine Bruce Campbell as Dick Tracy for a I second. Mean, well, he'd be good. I mean, he'd be so yeah. good. He'd be so fucking good. Not that Warren God. doesn't crush it in that yellow suit. I mean, he looks great. Like, he's a hot guy. But Bruce Campbell looks like he was drawn with ink. You know, that's his whole thing. He has the the actual he, chin of Dick Tracy. Yes. Yes, he actually The profile. Does. And... and Beatty was old at that time. But yes, weirdly, Darkman being successful lets Raimi do kind of his first like check cash-in, which is you're going to let me go back and do the third movie in a trilogy that you don't own the previous two films to. And my buddy is going to be the star because that's the other thing is that Darkman had been written for Campbell. And then Campbell was like, I'm going to step aside because my buddy Sam's about to torpedo his career. Right. He, by... he has to stop insisting on me as the lead of all this movie. <laughs> right. right. It's like it's a kind of a sweet story where Campbell is just like, I knew I was going to be OK, but I knew Sam had a bigger career in front of him. And if he insisted that I always had to be his leading man, it was going to get uh, hamstrung. So th- then this is sort of this weird like cashing in the dark man check. Uh, yep. Dark Man, which does well theatrically, but does like way better on video, kind of explodes immediately once it hits video, leads to the direct-to-video sequels. Uh, he's able to go back and go, you're going to let me make this movie with my buddy. Now picture Bruce Campbell as Oscar Schindler, because that's another thing we could have ended up with, right? It's another thing we could have ended <laughs> I up I could have done more. I wish I could do <laughs> Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I also yeah. could only think of one Oscar Schindler quote. You know, he would have been good as early Oscar Schindler in the, the first hour of Schindler's List when he's a, a party mm-hmm. animal, when he's just <laughs> yeah. going to bars, he's smoking, he's hanging out with ladies, you know, fun fun Oscar Schindler. Do you think that Beth Davids and uh, Liam Neeson talked about Sam Raimi on the set of Schindler's List when they had their like they must That's have a fair like, question. oh you too Probably. like yeah. you also it's 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 just such a funny thing to think about <laughs> right because this was this ended up coming out after Schindler but was shot first is that correct I think no it's it the came next out thing she does is it, it came yeah it came out before Schindler's List it comes this come out it can mm, geez this came out in February of 1993. And Schindler's List came okay. out in uh, December of 93. Okay. I just know it was shot but, a lot earlier. Yeah, exactly. This was weirdly delayed. Yeah. Um, and Ambeth Davids, yeah, it's a, you know, she, Army of Darkness is her first screen credit, I think. And Schindler's List is her second. It was kind of uh, out of the gate for her. Well, she, she had done South African movies. Yeah, I not? guess you're right. It's her first Hollywood screen credit. There's a couple of it's South African movies. It's her first Hollywood movies. movie. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, you're right. I love Embeth Davids. Well, I always, always love to see her. Good. She always, always good. shows She's up. Always good. She's Absolutely. like, I, when she showed up in old, I was so happy. Same, same. And I even had that excitement of going like, oh, fuck, is that Embeth Davids? Yeah. Like it was like a, a final surprise under the Christmas tree. Oh, man. She was locking down like a very awkward storyline on the uh, Apple morning show. She was Steve Carell's unfortunate ex-wife. I need to watch the morning show. Every yeah. every time yeah. anyone describes it to me, it just sounds bananas. It just, it it just sounds like yeah, like <laughs> something they're getting away with over there and putting it out. They're like, okay, yeah, more. You know, it's it's weird. It's crazy. It's it's interesting though, because like she doesn't work a tremendous amount. It feels like she's somewhat selective in what she chooses to do. And then I was looking at her Wikipedia and there were like four or five performances in big movies where I'm like, I forgot she was in that and she's great in that. Like, I forgot that she's Lane Price's wife on Mad Men. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's good in that. I forgot how good she is in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's really good in that. Did you remember that she is Peter Parker's mother in the Amazing Spider-Man films? The mystery of his parents. (laughs) I wasn't going to mention that. That's not her fault. She no, thought that is a weird waste of her. Uh, Miss Honey. She's Miss Honey. She is. She's Miss Honey. I'm not going to. I don't want to go too crazy over here, but she is such yeah. a babe. And Matilda, it's crazy. That that feels like maybe the ultimate David formative crush. Oh, yeah. I wasn't the ultimate one, but she is. She's a total babe. She's got those round glasses. Remember? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, she's like amazing in Junebug. Oh, yeah. She's always good. And it is just so funny to have her 1993 be this and Schindler's (laughs) List. And that's her entry into Hollywood. Literally, Princess Sheila and then Schindler's List. A princess named Sheila. (laughs) Yeah. And she spends half of this movie being like a a dead-eye temptress. Or just getting manhandled by Ash. But, you know, it is funny that she's, you know, she's... Like you think of Miss Honey, you think of this, like she's more of this sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Like she turned into the scary type A English lady. Like not that that's always what she does, but I feel like that's what she's typecast as like more sort of icy. And in these early movies, Mm -hmm. she's not that at all. She's like sexy and fun and cool. Like, I I don't know. I'm I'm not sure why that is how that goes. It's just because she's English. Maybe I don't know. She's like a, a naif or something. It's it's very odd how strongly her type changed, but she's good at both. Um, I, I just, rewatching this movie, every single minute, at least once a minute, I would think to myself, I can't believe they let them make this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, this is just such an ultimate where you're like, they got studio money to make this like the whole movie feels like an in joke in a bizarre way and that the joke is can you believe like you're watching someone get a big budget to do a student film you know it's like this is the movie we make in the backyard with our friends and now we have like animatronics and evil dead 2 feels like the absolute height of the size you could imagine someone would get for that kind of goof and then this just like blows that up yeah, there's there's like there's lines Ash has that are so aggressively stupid on purpose yeah. that I was like just picturing like Sam Raimi giggling writing them down. Like I was like I felt like everyone just was like ah yeah like Ash is dumb now and he's a 
an asshole. That's what Ash has been gone for a while now. <laughs> Ash sucks now and he's awesome. It's funny because like the through line of these movies is obviously Sam Raimi loves torturing Bruce Campbell, right? <laughs> he loves making him look stupid and he loves making him do difficult, painful, embarrassing things on screen. And Campbell is like this goofy, amiable jock who's always down with the spirit of the thing. And then, right, you have this transformation at the end of Evil Dead 2 that you just think, like, there's no way they can pull this off, this guy becoming a badass. <laughs> and then it's like, now he's sort of become, against all odds, after the first, like, you know, one and three quarters movies, a genuine kind of action star by the end of 2. And then their choices. So we're going to take that and, as you said, turn him into an asshole and an idiot. <laughs> like, we're not, we cannot let him be conventionally cool. If he's now confident, then it has to be a problem. Yeah, I was thinking about it in relation to, like, because it had been so long between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. And, like, mm -hmm. I was thinking about it in terms of, like, uh, Terminator 2, which was the year before. But this was, like, yeah. a type of action hero was really just around and you were you were being told I felt like I was being told as like a teenage girl like that I that I had to love Arnold that I couldn't just like admire <laughs> him as a strong bully but also he had to be my yeah. friend too and I was like <laughs> no like like I've seen pumping iron this is a this guy's a Nazi he's bad <laughs> but and I feel like there's that's kind of and I feel like there was also like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Yeah, it was like a Stallone, type of muscle man yes. that you were supposed to be like, yeah. And and there's something that's fun about like doing the full transformation of taking Ash from because the only way Ash's character logically makes sense in Army of Darkness is if you're like the events of the previous two movies have driven him insane. And he has like, <laughs> right. <laughs> he doesn't care anymore. He's just, his personality has like changed because he can't, he just, all he's ever done is like have girlfriends and murder them. Like Ash doesn't even have a job <laughs> until the third movie, right? We never know yes. that he has a job. He just has we girlfriends. Right. We're unaware them. of any. Yeah. His only backstory in one and two is he has a girlfriend and he has to kill her. That's that's really it. <laughs> right. And in one, and he buys her a shitty necklace. He bought her a shitty necklace. And in one, he doesn't yeah. say groovy. And in two, they're like, but what if also he says groovy? And it's <laughs> like, OK, well, that's yeah. our big that's our big addition to the Ash character. I mean, it's funny what you're saying, Eva. It's not just like you say that Arnie was big and strong and all the. It's in the 90s. It's there's the pivot to like we need to soften those guys. We need those guys to yeah. suddenly be family friendly in a way they weren't before. Like that. That's a, that. Was, that was sort of galling at the time. I, I sort of. I was. I was little when this movie came out, but still, like I. But, yeah. but also like peak of like the 90s were the peak of that sort of like muscle upon muscle yeah. hyper violent action movie that was like riddled with groany one-liners right and part of the appeal was like when arnold says consider that a divorce does he know that's funny at all right <laughs> like when stallone gets these lines or van damme they deliver it in a way where it's just like do they understand that's a joke? Is it, is it winking at all? Are they taking that totally on face level? And then, like, they give Ash shittier, blunter lines in this, and he delivers them with this attitude of, like, I know this is fucking awful, <laughs> right? And somehow he's able to thread this needle where it's like he's mocking almost the principle of having these guys turn like one degree away from the lens and say the fucking thing. 
but also the lines work. Like, it is bizarre that all of his one-liners in this movie have successfully achieved some sort of stickiness with fans as, like, badass quotable one-liners, even though it almost feels like the point is, what's the most groan-inducing thing we can have Bruce Campbell say? And how hard can he, like, fucking oversell it? How much spit can he put on the ball? Yeah, and then also on top of that, Griffin, the movie is answering adding one more layer on with like asshole mean ash like delivering these terrible one-liners and acting like he's and bragging about his weird job and like <laughs> like being suddenly completely self-aware like not, having no self-awareness from like the sweet beta that he was in the first movie but then just having like basically an every scene like an old lady punches him in the face 150 times <laughs> right <laughs> But also, like, time enough time has passed that there is zero boyishness left in him, right? He is, like, fully a man now. Oh, yeah. Still hot, though. Uh, so hot. Oh, still incredibly hot. Still incredibly hot, but also, like, in two when he's just, like, gorgeous. And in this, you're, like, he's maybe crossed over into comically handsome. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, where it, it's hard to take him on face level where he's in, like— Carrie Elwes territory where it's like what do you do after Princess Pride you have to do Robin Hood men in tights right you cannot you do the straight the version of this right I mean right but it's just every time I watch one of these I put on Evil Dead one and I'm like God Bruce Campbell such a cutie and then every time I watch yeah. another one I I have the same reaction I'm like he, he just he's he, I, it's not like he's not a handsome guy now he's very handsome mm-hmm. he's got the great jaw still like I love it it's just I think I just you always think of him as funny, and yet you forget just what 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 a gorgeous specimen he is. That's all. I want to know, Eva, what your history is with this movie because I sort of said mine, which is like I avoided it for a bit, and then when I got to it, I was like, "This is so much fun! Like, why why would this have a bad rep?" Yeah. Um. So I'm older than you guys. I was Humble in day. high school in like the mid to late nineties. <laughs> sure. Um. So solidly like a uh, video store era there was mm-hmm. there were pre-dvd basically um and it was very much like i had like a small group of friends and we wanted to be like movie people one day and we would rent sam raimi movies and watch them together constantly like we were we like uh him and peter jackson were like our people like that we right. felt like we had the secret knowledge of um and it it was really interesting, like both of them watching them sort of become like mainstream uh, after high school was really interesting because he, they really did feel like like a secret that like that only only the cool people knew about Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Um, and I think at some point I did own I just I owned the uh, the Army of Darkness. I bought like a, a the video store in our neighborhood was going out of business and I, and I, oh, I bought Army of Darkness and I watched it like I said, like hundreds of times. I mean, like when watching it this time, when Ash comes out of the pit and he does the long monologue where he's like, you want some to all the, to all the guys. I knew every line in it. Just, I just, in my head, I just was like, you want some, huh? Like I knew, I knew when he turned, I knew when he was going to turn to the camera. Right. Cadence. So, so good. Um, And then, um, I told you this, David, but like uh, in my early 20s, I was working for a production company that was uh, 
doing these countdown movies, these countdown mm-hmm. specials um, for mm-hmm. Entertainment Weekly. And they did like the top horror films of all time. And I was uh, like a producer, like a called a producer, but I was basically a coordinator, like a set coordinator on it. And um, Bruce Campbell hosted the special. And I ended up shooting Fuck. for like four days in the desert with Bruce Campbell on this really crazy, strenuous, like low budget shoot where he was fighting zombies. And, um, and he was so cool. Like he was like, it was totally the dream was like, not only was he like very funny, elevated this weird material, but also like, because it was this super low budget thing, I just kind of cast a bunch of my friends and like got all my friends on set because they weren't paying anything. And like anyone, whenever he was had downtime, like if you wanted to talk to him about like evil dead, he would just tell stories and stuff to like, the crew to the cast he was so generous and nice and you could tell also like he was really proud of of his career and just like really proud of evil dead because he like he paid for evil dead basically um yeah and he knew that he's just like so he just was like it was just such the the i i love him so much like in retrospect too, just being like man he could have been such a dick to us because we were arguably wasting his time and uh right and it's this annoying weird project and like he doesn't need to make an effort or whatever right like yeah, yeah. i've watched it you sent but, me i i guess it's sort of a cut together of everything right like it's like a 47 minute video on youtube yeah of all yeah. the like all the wraparounds that he did um it's really weird um but yeah he it was is, just like it's kind of great but it is <laughs> it's bizarre yeah um Side note, just from what you were saying before, uh, it was for AMC. And at the time, AMC was mostly just showing like bachelor party all the time. But like <laughs> when when we were producing the thing, like the head of AMC on one of the calls was like, oh, yeah, we're doing our first like original show. It's about Madison Avenue right. advertising. It'll be out next year. And it so that was like that puts it all in like in time Wild. or whatever. Yeah. Um, right. And then everything it, it is so exactly. It is so yeah. crazy. Because, yeah, before then, AMC was like, what if we were a worse A&E? Like, they weren't even like, <laughs> right. let's be a worse, uh, what do you call it? You know, TM, TCM. Let's like, like right. AMC, A&E is a little too classy. What if we showed shittier movies? Like, And even like TBS and TNT had very clear identities and what kind of movies they showed. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. had like, you know, the occasional sitcom and like, you know, you'd watch like baseball on TBS or whatever, right? Like AMC was right, just but it's like, like I'll watch Major League Two like, or Shawshank, right. right? And then, as you said, Eva, it's like Bachelor Party is the best they can get. <laughs> yeah, I just oh, imagine man. like those old cable days where it's like Warner Brothers comes in, they're like, "All right, here's our 1994 movie slate," and HBO's like, "We'll take this and that," you know, like they're all bidding like crazy, and AMC's yeah. just sitting back in the chair, like, "We can wait, we we can wait for the dregs. Don't worry, I yeah. got two nickels here." The Phantom, you say, Billy Zane, <laughs> right. you say. <laughs> Oh man! It, it is. I mean, it, the way you were just sort of describing him, Eva, and like 
how much he could have gotten away with being an asshole. Not that anyone should ever be an asshole, no. right? But that, like, it is bizarre. It's notable how much of a nice guy he is and so much he, how much he appreciates his fans and is proud of his legacy and all that stuff. That is the thing that made him such, like, a cult icon. Uh, it's like, I mean, when we were doing the Back to the Future movies and talking about how Bob Gale has, like, made his life about being the ambassador of Back to the Future, right? Mm-hmm. For all things. And it's like, what if the guy who was the Bob Gale of Evil Dead was also the star of Evil Dead and also still had a good career? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not like he's only doing Evil Dead nostalgia stuff because there's no other option. About Bruce Campbell's career at all. Like, so him being king of the convention or whatever, like, that's just what he's the best at. Yeah. But he's so happy to go around and talk about these movies and his legacy within them and how they were made and touch base with the fans and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm remembering my first association with this movie was before I even knew what Evil Dead was, right? Because, I mean, I've talked about in the other episodes, but it was one of those things where I was like, who's this guy who's like all over comic book stores? What is this weird franchise and this icon who doesn't seem to be part of larger popular culture? I'm not going to see him at like the mural at the pizza parlor, you know, or AMC or whatever. But like within comic book stores, this guy's iconography is like big. But years before that, it's some like 90s VHS. I must have rented some universal VHS where they had the trailers before the video. I remember seeing the trailer for this movie as like a young child and being like, what is this? Like the existence of this movie doesn't make sense to me. They're treating like this guy like he's iconic, but this is not any movie star I know of. (laughs) This doesn't seem to be a movie star that my parents know of. It's not even, I'm too young for this guy, you know? I'm like, this guy isn't Nick Cage, but they're positioning him like he is. And and then, right, the weird, like, is there a presumed familiarity I'm supposed to have with this character in this trailer? You know, they're treating him like he's this archetype. And what is the aesthetic of this movie that it has this level of like scale and monsters? How could anyone get this movie made? <laughs> like, I, and then years later, when I watched Evil Dead 1 and 2, I was like, wait a second, Army of Darkness is the third Evil Dead movie? Like, it made sense to me that that's the only circumstance in which this movie could come into being, but also have such a bizarre tone like it's the amount of fucking cartoon sound effects in this movie (laughs) and like literal head spinning and like eyes bugging out faces getting stretched and shit it's funny this movie obviously was trying to be pg-13 you guys know that right like that Mm -hmm. was their hope and it, it got an r rating uh which which hurt it at the box office it it feels PG thirteen like it feels more teenage yes. and fun and light and its energy or whatever and I guess it was probably just do you think it's just that it was too weird like the violence is isn't even horrifying but it's just sort of bizarre and that's and that's why like or is it just because it was an Evil Dead movie and they were like eh we're gonna just tend towards like this is for grown ups. It must have been some combination of the two because nothing about this movie screams are and it's like there's a lot less viscera than there was in the last two because you're right. mostly dealing with like fleshless skeletons. A lot of bones, Ben. And sh- oh, I know. Ben? Before we started recording, I said this movie is chock full of skeletons. It sure is. <laughs> you don't um, usually get skeleton bad guys. It's no. a, It's a rare skeleton monster. There is so much incredible bone work and not only that usually you're lucky if you get 
one or two. You know, right. this one has what I would refer to as an army of darkness. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. They um, skeleton bo- they have little heads for their drums. They have a thigh for their they play a flute that's a bone. <sighs> yeah. Oh my god, man. <laughs> like all of the just different little ways to get them to move and do stuff throughout the movie. I was really I was pausing, I was taking notes. You you were getting ideas from this, Ben? Yeah, I I was writing I, I really I've really inspired me. Don't do it, Ben. Whatever you're planning, don't do yeah, it. Yeah, don't don't raise any bone <laughs> armies, Ben. We don't need that right now. The world's a little a little on edge. I don't think a skeleton army has emerged. It's right. something I, I need just, to be uh, reading. I knock a shovel or I move a shovel out of the way, like off camera. So that, you know. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Are your hands covered in dirt? What's going no. on? No. Um, all right. Let me give you some context, the, the, Griff. Let's. No, I okay. was just gonna right, say, right. just quickly, just about skeleton. I just want to say before we move on, the context. Before we dig into the context, if you will, wow. it is funny how much like the the Ray Harry has an influence on. The, the titular army of darkness is very apparent, but like in behavior, the skeletons are more like, like the fucking Walt Disney skeleton dance short, you know? Oh yeah. Like they, sure. they're yeah. just like, what are funny visual gags you can do with skeletons to Eva's point? They're cute. Yeah. They're cute. They're, yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're like, they're kind of more animal, even though they're human skeletons, obviously. Right. They, they're not, they're not like the Harryhausen, like where it's like, this is a soldier. It just looks like a skeleton. They're, they're, right. yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they're having fun no matter what. <laughs> they are having, they're having, fun. A having great time. They're having fun. So <laughs> as we've mentioned, they make evil dead. Then they make crime wave. That doesn't work. Okay. We were, we're going to, we're in retreat. We're going to make evil dead too. That's the thing we can sell. Mm-hmm. They make evil dead too. Initially wanted to call it medieval dead. And then they, and then they wanted to call it army of darkness. It's called dead by dawn, obviously. So they do that. Um, De Laurentiis, I guess his, his sub company had folded. He did have sequel rights. Uh, Griffin after dark mm-hmm. man, Universal is happy enough with Darkman that they decide to split the budget with De Laurentiis. So it's uh, 50-50 right. from each uh, whatever company. $12 million budget. They send Ivan and Sam off to come up with the script. And they are very insistent together that they, I guess, do not want it to just be a part three. They wanted it to stand on its own. Right. right. Like they, they, they like, I want someone to be able to come in and enjoy the film without worrying about you know, Evil Dead lore. Not that there's a ton of Evil Dead lore in those first two movies, really. But it's not a lot uh, of yeah. But that is rules, I guess. Is right? Like, uh, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, it is. What's funny about this movie, though, because like as a kid, seeing that trailer on a VHS, I was like, I understand what type of movie this is presenting itself as, which is fish out of water, modern guy lands in medieval times, right? Like a modern snarky action hero is now dropped into supernatural, evil, medieval uh, uh, epic. But Ash is so bizarre as a character. I think that was the thing that jumped out to me as a kid where it's just like, if you're just starting the process of writing a movie from square one with that premise, this is not the guy you put at the center of it. Right. Like, it's just confusing that he starts out with a chainsaw for a hand. <laughs> and even though the movie has to, like, front load this, like, I bet you're wondering what happened to me. And then watching Bruce Campbell have to act out the same events for the third time now. Yeah, this is true. 
yeah. I did locate one. There is one rule of Evil Dead, yeah. which I did figure out. I didn't really click in until because I I watched all three movies recent uh, this weekend. Um, it it became very clear in Army of Darkness that the main rule is that the Evil Dead are horny. Because in this one they're very horny, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're always kind of horny. But this this one they're just they're just like they're just really horny. That's You're it. right, and zombies are never. You're horny. very right, and like, yeah. and no. I know the deadites are not exactly zombies, but they basically are. And like they're possessed peoples. I don't know, but you're right. They have, they're horny and they do bits, and and those are both <laughs> unusual for. They're for, having a for, blast. They, okay, yes, well, they're, they're back from the the dead. Okay, and they're enjoying themselves. Oh yeah, that 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 one old lady uh, deadite does the does the little trick in the first like in the first castle scene yes. where she's got her eyes open she's like he he while they're all coming up to her it's cute i wouldn't say cute necessarily mm-hmm. but that's the other thing is they love fucking with this guy right like it's sort of the 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 arc of these movies is just ash being cursed beyond repair as you said eva really just like his brain break right <laughs> yeah and just he cannot escape this fucking shit. He's doomed to be followed by these forces forever. And part of it is because these forces seem to find it funnier to fuck with him than anyone else. Like he just reacts to it worse. Right. I mean, he had to fight his hand for more than an hour. Like <laughs> his, he had to cut his hand off and then his hand still flipped him off yep. and still was fucking with him. For- still handsy. Yes. <laughs> Still it's mean true. to him. It is incredible. I mean, t- talking about like towing this line of like making the movie stand on its own, but also making it a third evil dead. You have this like, okay, here's this high concept setup, right? And the final act of the movie is going to be big medieval battle, knights versus skeletons. The middle act of the movie is, well, obviously we got to go back to the thing where he's just stuck in a small shed. Right, where he's in the woods. And things fuck with him for 30 minutes. <laughs> talking to himself, weird shit happens. Right. It's very <laughs> no Looney Tunes. on screen the, unless it's another version of him. The Three Stooges is the major visual inspiration. Yeah. And Universal is like, okay. And Dino De Laurentiis is like, I love you, Sammy. Good job. I give you a big kiss. I don't, I don't know what he sounded like. That's just how I imagined him. Yeah, no, he sounded like a little... They, you were underplaying They definitely, yeah. both Sam and Ivan, <laughs> say like, no one gave us any notes on this one. I guess at this point, it's just sort of like, well, they know what they're doing. So, Whoa. like, you know, like they were not really being messed with by the studio anymore. Dino was very much like sounds good which is fine is good and they earned it or whatever but like it, it, it i i wonder like if now a studio would be like medieval i don't think so like let's try something right like if, if the, the the premise yeah. itself might turn off uh a studio just because like medieval stuff doesn't really play right I, or maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm crazy just like, specifically this type of like insincere medieval stuff where all the right. costumes are dumb and they're in a it's a the castle Monty in a Python desert element. <laughs> right yes well a desert castle that, that's uh yes so initially <laughs> they wanted to go to spain or england and find a castle um but apparently it's hard to get a castle, or, uh, I guess. It's hard to rent a castle and stage You're a giant medieval me, battle. Man, <laughs> so then they're like, fine, we'll just build, you know, we'll build a little castle. We'll fill the rest in post-production or whatever. Uh, they looked in Utah. I, 
Again, yeah, I might take someone aside and be like, just FYI, nowhere in Europe looks like Utah. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not gonna read. Like, but eventually <laughs> they ended up in California. They just they shot it in the studios, like in you know, uh Acton, California. I don't know if anyone knows Acton, California, but it looks like it's whatever, like, you know, north of LA out in the desert there, right? Like not far. It's like it's where they would shoot westerns or whatever. Yeah. It's like the Manson Ranch. They shot this like it's that shit, it's right? So, the Spawn Ranch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's like they set it up. I mean, at the end of Evil Dead Two, when he lands and everyone's like hailing him, right? In medieval times, it looks like this, but it would have been such a good opportunity to just abandon that, <laughs> and much like Evil Dead is wont to do, just change it to fit however you want it for this movie. But yes, they're stuck in weird, like tumbleweed <laughs> medieval times, and I, I always felt like, well, it's a, a cool concept, time traveling, medieval times, or whatever. And then Hodgman in our Evil Dead Two episode like explained it so perfectly, where he's like. Imagine these guys have made successful horror movies and they come in and pitch to you, we're going to do this, but at a Ren fair. Like, that is what the vibe of this Absolutely. is. Yes. It's, um, it's, it's, it's not what I would have predicted. I know that's obviously how Evil, no. two Dead, uh, Evil Dead 2 ends. So I know they, you know, they had set, they had called their shot there, but it's just not the energy I would have expected from Sam Raimi. And like, Again, we've been reading about the guy. Everything he talks about, he's like, I love the Three Stooges. Like, he's not saying, like, you know what I love? Excalibur. Like, that was a movie that meant right. a lot to me. Or anything. Like, I don't know where this is coming from, but whatever. But it almost feels like that's what it's coming from, where, like, uh, uh, Connor Ratliff, dear friend of the show, past and future guest, we love uh, talked about how when he started doing improv, he bought the ultimate box set of every single three stooges short and i was like why did you do that and he was like well because i realized i'd have to start a lot of improv scenes with professions and i feel like people pick the same two or three professions and i was like what's the thing i can watch with a lot of good professions in it (laughs) and so like every three stooges short it's like now they're now they're carpenters right yeah yeah yeah. now now they're knights now they're this or that it does feel like that influence of it where it's like He's not interested in making Excalibur. He's interested in the idea of what can you dress Bruce Campbell up as? Like, what's a different patina you can drop him into, you know? So this is just the third beat, like the third beat of the Evil Dead Herald. Right, right, right. It's that that improv thing where the joke becomes every third beat is like, are you in space? Are you in the future? Yeah. You're the president. Which this movie then sets up its its alternate ending fourth beat is the future. It's right. It's like it's um, like post apocalypse or whatever. Yeah, it's just such a funny combination of things. And, and to your point, David, it, there was like this window, and I think it happened again, sort of in the mid two thousands, but in the early nineties, where like video was just so lucrative, where they could look at it and be like, it costs twelve million dollars. Dino's putting up half of it. The star is some guy who's not really a movie star, but Darkman did well opening weekend. This thing will make its money back on video. We'll sell it to cable. Right. Like, there's almost no way for this movie to lose money. So why even give them notes? Because it doesn't even matter. 100%. Um, have you guys talked about the apartment that they all lived in? in uh, with-, with, with with the Coens oh, and yes. Francis McDormand and Holly Hunter, the hottie apartment? The hottie apartment. And- One, two, three, hottie street. Go on. Carry on. I just, I just, did they... I feel like they I read that they wrote this in the apartment potentially or this like this the the some of this an early draft of this maybe was written in the of, in the of Army of Darkness. 
I thought so, but maybe you I'm might wrong. be right here. Wait, let me see. Let me see. There's definitely some stuff in our research here. They had started this much earlier, and then it was after Darkman that they got to go ahead and really wrote like the final script. But I think there were earlier drafts of I, this. Ivan Reitman, uh, it must be stated, uh, was an acting acting physician at the time. Like he he was working as a doctor in Young's. Ivan Ramey, not Ivan, Ivan Reitman. Ivan Ramey. I'm sorry, not Ivan Reitman. All right, not a lot of Ivans out there. Uh, was a yeah. was a physician. So he is a doctor. He's working as a doctor in Ohio. So I guess wow. he just like would would moonlight on the side with Sam and cook up these scripts. So maybe he's coming out. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that this is a very cute quote from Ivan where he says. This is Ivan, yes. Uh, we fight over commas, and when we get in a fight, we don't mind resorting to fisticuffs. <laughs> Sam does improvise a lot, because when you get on set, you realize there's certain things you know you need to improvise on. Sam says that Ivan has the easy job. I clean up your mess. But I, I just like Ivan being <laughs> like, oh, Will, there'll be fisticuffs between us when we're fighting over where to put an M dash or whatever. I have a question about the apartment that's been weighing on my mind, and it's completely... Okay. A conspiracy theory mm-hmm. that I cooked up in my head that I know is not real, but can I just present it to you guys? Absolutely. Please. The other person in that apartment was Kathy Bates. Yes, a young Kathy, Kathy Bates, Bates. She never was in a Coen Brothers movie or a Sam Raimi movie after that. Bizarre, because you could see her fit into both of those universes very Not well. only... I, I was like, that can't be true. Surely she's in a Coen Brothers movie. Right. She... It feels like a character in a Coen Brothers movie. Just just regular yes. Kathy Bates. Just, yes. just nice lady Kathy Bates feels like she that's so weird. So do you think yeah. they like that she like didn't, you know, pick her sh- hair out of the shower drain or whatever? That's, and they're my, all like, that's my theory. Fuck it, was Kathy she a Bates. bad was she a bad roommate? Or were they all bad roommates and she oh. was the good roommate? Because another thing, when hmm. I thought about it a little more, I was like, oh, she's also like ten years older than them. Right. So maybe she was kind of the den mother and she got sick of like picking up after them or whatever. But what happened? What happened in that apartment that she never now ends I, up in any of the movies? I now I got to know because you're it's also funny. Yeah. Like why? Wh- wh- how did that come about? Like, why is that the crew? It's Campbell, Ethan and Joel, Holly and Francis, Kathy Bates. I think Scott Spiegel lived with them as well. Like why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why are they all together? I is it like Kathy Bates winning an Oscar and like now I'm imagining like Joel and Cohen and Sam Raimi and everyone like they're all sitting on the couch and they're like, yeah, well, she's still like, you know, didn't know how to use a vacuum cleaner. Like are they, are they still because like like there's no reason for them not to work together after all of their fame. Right. Like everyone now we knows didn't get our we are talented security deposit back because of Bates. <laughs> right. Maybe it's all it's like a pickle, a jar or a jar of pickles or something. You know what I mean? Like. Oh, they still like it's like a dispute over something that dumb. Even it's a it's a real world. She was the puck of the apartment with the peanut butter left open. She or she was like walking around with like curlers in, like yelling at them for making a ruckus when they're giggling (laughs) over like lines they're gonna write for Ash. But that sounds like a character that would appear in either a Sam Raimi or a Coen Brothers movie. (laughs) Is Kathy Bates in curlers yelling? Like that sounds about right. I mean, I think Kathy Bates' first movie was uh, uh, Taking Off, the Milos Forman pot comedy. Oh, wow. 
with Buck Henry. And she's in that as like a young folk singer auditioning. A big part of that movie is it's like two parents trying to find their daughter who ran off to audition for like a uh, some sort of music show. And you see all these auditions and one of them is Kathy Bates very earnestly singing uh, a folk song that I believe she herself uh, wrote. And that's like a decade before she would have been living in this apartment. Guys. Whereas everyone else is really starting out. In the I career. have David, what did you a find? further wrinkle that I must introduce. Ooh, okay. okay. I'm so glad this, this theory is taken I, up. I don't, I, it's not going to give us any conclusive answers one or the other. And already this feels like the beginning of a long open-ended podcast series that doesn't really answer any questions, but just asks a lot. Is of, it going to raise more questions? Right. You know, yeah. one of those shows where like by episode 10 is like, you know, I'm at the end of my journey and I still don't know why Kathy Bates and the Coen brothers don't get along. <laughs> but you know, you know one, of the, one of those series where you're like, wait a second, why yeah. did I listen to any of this? But anyway, as you may know, in 1997, after the success of Fargo, um, there was a pilot made for a Fargo right. TV series starring Edie Falco as Marge Gunderson, yes. right? Uh, so Kathy Bates directed Kathy it? Bates directed the pilot. What's up with Fuck, that? Sorry for jumping the gun, but I just remembered that. Wait, Jesus. but was this another, like, we don't approve of this, like, Fargo That's what I'm show? saying. Did she uh, direct it as a fuck you to the coach? <laughs> where they were like, well, we don't want there Maybe. to be a, a cop show based on Fargo. And she's like, well... I'm directing it, so you can go fuck yourself. A, a big <laughs> deal that the FX Noah Hawley Fargo had like a vague stamp of approval from sure, the they at least where were they like, were like, okay. we know this exists and it's fine. No, they right. didn't. No, uh, they like they wouldn't even like. No, no, no. No, like, they're Francis against McDormand, it. Am I wrong about that? Like scowls at the Emmys because she's like uh, she's uh, uh, nominated. To be fair, Francis McDormand scowls a lot, but okay, no, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, I was. To be fair. I was googling trying to answer the Bates question. I found an interview where Francis talks about Kathy moving into the house and says no more. Okay. Uh, but she also like slams the Fargo show in that same interview. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe look. I'm just saying I'd now because at that point in her life, Kathy Bates, obviously she's an Academy Award winner, but still she had directed like one episode of Homicide Life on the Street and one episode of NYPD mm -hmm. Blue. Like it's not like she was doing tons and tons of TV directing. So it feels like she's maybe either taking it as a fuck you to the Coens or with their blessing. But I'm 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 leaning to the former. She also shows up at I, the house with a like she had already been nominated for a Tony. She got nominated oh, for Night Mother wow. quite young. Like oh, Holly, Holly and so Francis maybe were like too fancy. Friends. Yeah, right. she, they were like Yale drama school friends. She was much deeper into her career than everyone else, in addition to being older. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. She's done McNally a lot had of Broadway. written a play for her, like at that point in her Do career. You, I now also, okay, and we have to move on from this after this, but. <laughs> I am how big more how big was this house? I now need a floor <laughs> I, plan. This is the I other need to thing. know where yeah. who's sleeping where. I, do, I, I know it's in it's in Silver Lake. It's a former hunting lodge. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty cool. Wait yeah. a second. Wait, it's a 12 parter, guys. Let's we'll, we'll move on. It's a 12. We just added two more gonna, parts. Yeah, yeah, no, we gotta make this into a limited series. Oh man. There, I mean, I feel like whenever uh Franny does interviews about her and Joel falling in love. The thing she says is that like he was really well read and we would like talk about books on set 
And then he like came over and would like read to me at night Mm -hmm. and we drink hot chocolate and like he'd read books aloud and we discuss them. Do you think Kathy Bates was the one who was just constantly like knocking on the door from the inside of her room going like, shut the fuck up. Stop reading. Postman always rings twice to your fucking (laughs) drama student girlfriend. Put the hot cocoa down and go to fucking sleep. (laughs) Like, it's such a charming story. And then do you think she was just like, I have work in the morning. I'm not amused. Well, we will never know. And oh, man. Thank well, you for taking this journey. Know. Maybe we will. Maybe. Yeah, we should say Kathy Bates is our guest on the For Love of You. I, you know, I, I'm just imagining a world where I get to talk to Joel Cohen, say, for like 15 minutes. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's Joel Cohen. It's a, a director I admire. Like, you know, there's a lot I could ask him. And I'm just like, I got to look when you're like in your 20s. Like, you know, I just immediately I'm like, I just got to ask. Can you just shed some light on this for me? And he might literally be like, plan? he might literally be like, which I feel like Joel Cohen's normal thing where he's like, I don't know. It was fine. It was normal. Like, and, yeah. right. Like, you know, he, he, you're always just sort of like, hey, why'd you make this Macbeth movie? And he's like, I don't know. Wanted to do uh, Macbeth. And I figured yeah. I'd do it this way. And that's what I did. Like, it was available. And these other people <laughs> moved in. I think he does that. He steps outside. He's like, well, nice meeting you. Gets on the phone, calls Sam Raimi. He's like, someone's asking about Kathy. Someone's digging. <laughs> We're going to get canceled. They're going to find out <laughs> about Kathy. Um, anyway. Uh, uh, Army anyway. of Darkness, right? Some <laughs> more. All right, so they're shooting in Acton, California. It sounds pretty annoying because this movie mostly takes mm-hmm. place at night. And I don't know. I mean, Eva, you're out there on the West Coast. You can tell us. Apparently, it gets very cold in the desert at night. Yeah, it's dust. Acton's like dusty. I think it's kind of like a like farmland. It's it's right over the grapevine. I think. Yeah, um, it looks like right. Exactly. It's not. It's not like physically far from LA, but it looks like yeah. It it's it's, of, it's flat yeah. and cattle ranchy and, uh, and yeah, very cold at night. Probably very hot during the day. I. I it's um. You know just they have to wait for the sun go down that they don't have a lot of time and it's freezing cold and because it's hot in the daytime everyone has to immediately like shift into cold mode bill pope griffin one of the greats Mm -hmm. of course one of the greats. he shot dark man so he Mm -hmm. but that was his first movie i just bill pope's 90s alone i don't know if you know like griff let's go through them dark man yeah okay then a movie called closet land that i've never heard of whatever some madeline mm. stone movie army of darkness fire in the sky very underrated uh sci-fi abduction movie mm-hmm. blank check <gasps> oh. the film blank check which uh-huh. clueless bound of course the wachowskis uh, right gridlocked a movie i ta- constantly talk about tim roth and tupac uh black comedy really good movie uh, zero effect that sort of underrated Jake Kasdan comedy and the matrix oh yeah like almost everything he made was interesting and then obviously in the 2000 he does Spider-Man and the matrix sequels and he did okay. team America and all that right I, I was not wrong the other thing he does in 1999 is he's the DP on the pilot of freaks and geeks there you Whoa. go that's right Probably because he'd worked with Jake Kasdan, right? Like that, yeah. correct. But but even still, that's a very influential show in terms of like there had not been a comedy that looked like that at that point in time. It's, he's the best, and everyone talks about him yeah. like he's the best uh, on, in all their yes. research. Like he's the guy who's getting you through these crazy shooting nights really by working really really fast. Like he he was really yes. really good at that. 
Um, and uh, another problem they had is they had a bunch of fucking horses. Sam Raimi even talks about in these interviews the classic Clint Eastwood thing where you can't say action because they know that word and then they start moving the second you say action. Like, <laughs> you guys, you guys are aware of this, right? That's wild. I didn't know this. Class? Yeah. Clint Eastwood says, like, all right. And what's the other thing, Griffin? I got to look it up now. Enough, enough of that. Is that like, <laughs> a safe, like a safe word? Yes. But, right. And it's and, and people, apparently, when they work with Eastwood, you know, like Tom Hanks tells some story on about it. Like yes. With Sully. There's a yeah. great Graham Norton, Tom Hanks clip where he's talking about on Sully that you're waiting for him. And then you look over and he's behind the monitor and he sort of just, like, waves his hand and he goes, like, Okay, go on then. <laughs> right. And then when the scene's done, you wait for him to call cut, you look over and he goes like, okay, enough of that. But it, but it is like, it now reads as like mystique, this like badass old man. But it, then he asked about it and he was like, you just can't be loud with horses. <laughs> you don't want to spook the horses as he's shooting like yeah. Sully or whatever. A horseless right. film. <laughs> yes. But he just never got over it. I mean, this movie just feels like such a nightmare to shoot, not just in terms of, yes, you're shooting in this like completely like like acrid environment, but also arid environment, but also like you're shooting almost exclusively at night. There's a middle third of the movie, at least a solid third, where he is the only actual actor on set. And so many scenes where you have such complicated effects or like an army of animatronics that all need to be working in unison um yes it sounds annoying they use this thing called intravision which they also used for dark man which was sort of hard to explain i think it's been driving our researcher jj slightly insane reading so much about intravision <laughs> uh so i feel a little bad and i want to at least shout it out but the way sure. he best describes it is it's like it's halfway between classic rear projection, right? And mm -hmm. what they, that crazy shit they do now, like on The Mandalorian, what's it called? Stagecraft or whatever, right? Where you're standing in front of like yeah. a monitor that's like has perfect, you know, imagery behind it, right? Well, and the big thing with that is that like if you adjust the camera, the angles and the perspective of the digital background adjust with the camera right. and the lighting is rigged to the digital image. So the lighting matches the environment. It's like the most intuitive way to do this kind of thing. Now. Right. Introvision, I think, is a, 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 a more primitive version of that idea. Right. Um, half mm -hmm. of this movie apparently is shot using Introvision. They saved a lot of money doing it you can't really tell this movie looks pretty good i would say like it's that raimi thing of like the special effects anytime they're junky or goofy it gets away with it because that's the the cartoony energy i guess i don't know but like i and he'll like throw the sound effect on there or, right. or have the one-liner that just like well the joke is that now this character is acting like daffy duck or whatever um, but it basically combines pre-recorded like back projection with live action recording on set. I can't, I look, I, JJ, please forgive me. I can't describe this shit. He sent me a long video. I tried to watch it. It was very boring. Um, but it's crucial to them using stop motion, basically. Like it makes stop motion sure. a lot easier to do because you could shoot the live action footage and then project it, the stop motion animation in the foreground Oh, God, he's going to kill me. I'm sorry. I mean, it's it's the other thing with this whole trilogy is they're using every single pre-CGI technique, right. right? 
Absolutely. Um, in a way that's really impressive. And like, right, sometimes the, the Deadites are stop motion. Yeah. Sometimes they're guys in suits. Sometimes they're animatronics. Uh, and there's, I mean, I just feel like, unlike a lot of movies like this, maybe, where you're having like multiple techniques of like, like here's a bad comparison point I'm thinking of, right? Like in the Child's Play movies, it's mostly an animatronic. Sure. But then sometimes they will put a child or a little person inside a little Chucky costume. Or they will have a dummy Chucky doll that isn't rigged, that the actors just have to wrestle with. And your brain always clocks when the technique changes. When you're like, Chucky's not moving the right way. Whereas I feel like this time, in this movie, anytime the vernacular of the characters or the the special effects change, it's like on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to make the most out of that specific weird movement. He, here's here's the best way. And then now, when I'm going to say it sounds so counterintuitive, but instead of okay. Bruce Campbell fights an invisible energy and, enemy and you imagine you 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 put the enemy in afterwards right they would have already Mm -hmm. done the stop motion photography for the enemy and bruce campbell has to precisely match the movements to fight it does that make sense like he's acting against something that's already been animated so he can kind of see it but it's he has to hit exact physical marks for it to look good does that it's like reverse roger rabbit kind of yes and so they were acting to like numbers being called out because they had this complicated number system to remember every physical movement that they had to do. Basically, Bruce Campbell found this incredibly torturous. It sounds it sounds so annoying. But, I mean, it's cool. This is like the single biggest thing about this movie for me is, I think I've talked about this before, but there was, there was a thing on the tick where we had to essentially shoot something this way. Because there was a character, there was a mad scientist character who created a shrink ray and he accidentally shrunk himself down. So I had to have scenes with like a tiny man. And they would shoot him in a big set and I would stand off camera and say the lines and we'd figure out the blocking of where I would be and I'd step in so they would get like the lighting reference. And then the next day I had to go into a complete green screen space that just had marks taped off and an earpiece where they played back not just his lines, but my line readings from the day before. And I had to say them in unison and hit the marks at specific timing, both in terms of my movements and eye line. And then like, if it was off by a centimeter, it'd be fucked and they'd cut and we'd go back to the beginning. Cause they're like, you walked through a table or whatever. And it was impossible and impossible to do on like a TV schedule and budget for one scene. It was so difficult that for the rest of that episode, they made him a puppet that I held in my arms with the head turned to the camera (laughs) away from the camera so that no one could see. And he just dubbed it later. And then they rewrote the character. They were like, I don't know. He's got a robot suit now. He doesn't have to be little anymore. Uh, This movie is like all that, like almost every scene he's interacting with elements like that. And he also has to be funny. Like he has to have his personality. He has to, it has to be fucking charisma. It's not like it's like, uh, I don't know, perfunctory uh, exposition scenes. And it does make you realize like, not just, oh, well, this movie is like a tribute to Bruce Campbell and his love of this guy and his friend who he so badly wanted to make into a leading man and whatever. But it's like, you truly could not have done this movie with anyone else because I don't think anyone else would have put up with this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone else would have busted their ass hard enough to figure out how to reckon with all these technical shit things and also put a funny performance on top of that. Like, not only is the fact that the guy at the center of this movie is Bruce Campbell rather than Bruce Willis means you're putting that money back into the budget for all of those effects. Right. But also that you have a guy who's like, I'll work an 18-hour day. 
Just tell me where I need to stand, I, and I'm going to solve. I'm this. lazy. I wouldn't do that. I would. I wouldn't do that. I would. No. Nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. Well, yeah, he kind of had already done it, right? Because yeah, he, like, who else would you trust? Like he's already done this for you twice. Of it's it's the whole thing. It's like that's that's why they're good at this. But like, if I'm finally my reaction to Universal being like, you have twelve million dollars to make the next one, would be like, great, I can rest easy. That's a lot of money. We this will be fun. Right. We'll You're make like, some fun the idea. movie. I get two million this time, and you have a stunt double do all the shit. And, and instead, Sam Raimi's like twelve million. Great. How much can we possibly do? Right, like you know, like right. Well, what is everything that we could cram into this? And it, not only that, can we put more on Bruce? Let's have him play two full-bodied characters that have to interact with each other. Also, like five mini the tiny ass. The second Bruce. Oh my god! Do you guys like the, the tiny second ashes? Bruce has horrible makeup? Oh, I love them. I love Look. the shot of him from the their POV of him stepping on them. <laughs> I love that shot. It's beautiful. Why? Why is that so good? Because it it doesn't make any fucking sense in the movie, really. <laughs> no. It just sort of starts no. happening. Uh, but, like, wh- wh- why why is that good, Griffin? And, like, fucking, you know, the stupid little marshmallows in Ghostbusters is, is lame. Like, what is it just because the technical prowess of it is so good? Is it because Bruce Campbell's performances are so good? Like, they they have such good little, like, little stinker energy? I think that's a huge part of it. I think he's the right actor to both play the little stinkers and play the person who's being tortured by the little stinkers. Them, like, you know, holding the gun and shooting. I always love that. Like, (laughs) after they poke him with the the pitchfork, then then they're like, let's shoot him with a gun. (laughs) Oh, God. I love them coming out of the mirror. Obviously, such a cool effect. Like, like, practically like a Lynchian effect. Is their pitchfork just supposed to be a fork? It's a fork, they, At their scale. Yeah, right, right. it's just a regular <laughs> fork. <laughs> Do you know what I think it is? I, I mean, I spent uh, the last week with the aforementioned Connor Ratliff on a cruise ship. Sure did. So we, of course, spent a lot of time talking about old cartoons, <laughs> the main language that Connor talks in. Right. And we were, he's such a like historian of all these things and watches, you know, like I'm going to watch every cartoon featuring Donald Duck in chronological order so I can chart the evolution of the character and whatever. And a thing that we were sort of talking about a lot was like, that was something like uh, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote, right? There's not like a build to them. Like the new Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon is not acknowledging or, or continuing the chronology of the last one. Right. But that you are aware of the fact that the audience has now seen like six of these or ten of these. And it's like there's a format you need to fit, but you also need to build on the bits. And sometimes it's heightening and sometimes it's moving laterally. But it's like what kind of gags fit into a Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner cartoon? Mm-hmm. And I think this movie, the little ass shit, works along with everything else because they're just sort of in that zone where it's like, you know what the format is. He goes into a small contained space in the middle of the woods and things fuck with him, right? We've now seen this three times. This is the third time it's happened. What other kinds of things could fuck with him? What are the ways he can be fucked with? And because you're riffing on that sort of cartoon language, it's like, what are the things that can happen? Someone can get big. You can have a bunch of a little thing. Mm -hmm. You know? I I just think when it happens in Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's so out of conversation with anything else that's happening in that movie, let alone the franchise at large. Whereas with this, you're just like, yeah, I don't know. You've made like three of these. What's going to happen now? Is it funny if he's little? Is it funny if he's evil? It, yeah, it's it's Chuck Jones timing also. It's like yes. where the Ghostbusters timing is just chaotic and cynical. Right. But right. like I was thinking about 
uh, I don't know if you guys talked about this in Evil Dead 2, um, but that incredible sequence, I laughed so hard when he goes, when he's, he puts the woman's head in the vice, he looks up, he sees the outline of the chainsaw on the wall, yes. and then the headless... <laughs> the headless corpse runs in holding the chainsaw perfect so timing purely comic timing not even like to scare you and i feel like that's that's what the whole cabin sequence is in this it's like yeah this is just like a tom and jerry cartoon at this point it's it right it set up its rules like because this is now the third beat of this where it's like we're just here for invention there's what there's gonna be an eyeball on his shoulder just like throw shit at me <laughs> Really like the eyeball on his shoulder. Very, very good. Very nightmarish. We definitely, in that episode, by the way, talk about the outline of the chainsaw. <laughs> the, my so favorite funny. part. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, I'm going to do that whenever I have a shed. I'm going to draw outlines of every tool just so I know where they go <laughs> when I, when I replace. Right? That, that must, that, that, that's the only yes. logic I can think of. Chainsaw goes here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. And he goes, he uh, still has to go, chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Should we discuss the plot of Army of Darkness? Uh, Ash has been captured yeah. by, you know, uh, some, you know, King Arthur-esque guy, <laughs> right? He's Well, I, I just, I want to ask before we dig into this, because yeah. uh, it's relevant. Eva, as someone who's watched this movie like a hundred times, I assumed the VHS that you had was the theatrical cut? I guess so, yeah. Must have been. Yeah. I think it because there are f- four different versions of this movie. Okay, I watched the the version I know is the one I just watched on HBO Max. And yes. does that end? It, which with is the version on HBO the, Max? The smart ending it ends yeah. at the supermarket. It's the classic ending. Yes, hail to the king, baby! Right, hail yeah. to the king! Right. So it's there's the 81 minute theatrical cut. Yes. Which was Dino De Laurentiis and Universal cutting it down after I think he originally got an NC-17. No. And they were... I don't think so. I saw it was NC-17 and then it went down to R. I think I read that too, actually. Let me look at that. Because the others got NC-17. Apparently, yeah, there was a decapitation scene that... Yes. The NPA didn't like. So they got rid of that. Right. Right. That's when they took it away from him. And then he restored his director's cut, which had the Rip Van Winkle ending, which the studio hated because they thought it was too depressing. Too much of a and they bummer. To have a win at the end. Right. 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 Um, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, I really like the mall ending. I like that Bridget Fonda is in it. She was a huge yeah. fan of Evil Dead, and asked cool. to be like, "Do you have a part for me?" And they were like, "Well, we could throw you in this this new ending." Um, but I, yes, but the, obviously the original ending puts him in like futuristic London, like it's like post nuclear apocalypse or whatever. I have seen yes. it. I haven't the, seen it in a while. The other major cut is the international cut, which was what was released in theaters in Europe uh, and and other countries, other territories, where I think the ratings were less strict. Uh, where it is essentially all the bonus material that is in. The, thea- uh, the director's cut, but with the theatrical ending. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So there's the short version with the Esbart ending, the long version with the Rip Van Winkle, the version that's slightly between the two lengths with the Esbart ending, and then there's a TV cut that was one of those we just dumped all the extra footage in to fill out a, log- a longer programming block, which is the version I think no one defends other than just as a completist. It's interesting to see everything. Right. 
um, yeah, they shot that final thing in Malibu. I mean, Raimi did not want it to be long. He handed in like a 90-minute cut, and then they, they lopped off like 10 minutes from that. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I watched the director's cut with the Van Winkle ending, which was the one that I saw first, so it still sticks in my mind as being like my version of Army of Darkness, even though I like the S-Mart ending a lot. And it is funny how at 96 minutes you're like, this overstays its welcome a little bit. Like it feels a little laggy even for a short movie because the other ones are all like 81 minutes, no filler, so lean. I like that they're all under 90. Me too. It's it's, And Raimi says like, I think he has a quote here, like, I like really short films. I think 90 minutes is a great length for a picture. The kind of picture I make would work best as 60 minutes. No brain, no story, no nothing. <laughs> you just like walk out having been like kicked in the head a bunch. Like, and you know, it's it, funny that he right. says that considering that like, like anyone, I do feel like he eventually has suffered from like bloat, right? Like yeah. Oz the Great and Powerful is a classic like two hour, 10 minute, you know, sort of like, oh boy, right. this has got to drag me to hell though to its credit is a is a yeah. it's a good clean like under 100 minute like that's a fun lean hard right. like that was him i feel like going back to basics and i think that's a case where like the difference between the unrated and theatrical cuts is like a minute whereas this it's like 15 minutes it is funny though that like the most self-indulgent kitchen sink cut of this movie is still 96 minutes long <laughs> so uh, another thing that was going on during all of this universal and Dino De Laurentiis are fighting over the fact that De Laurentiis owns rights to Hannibal Lecter's in Manhunter, right? Like he specifically yes. owns Red Dragon. Universal owns the rest of the Lecter stuff. And mm-hmm. when Raimi asked for more, more money for this movie uh, to finish like reshoots and all that stuff, Universal held back financing and delayed the release date. That's maybe why Ambeth Davids, you know, shot this before Schindler, like why it got delayed. Right, uh, right. Delayed the release date until De Laurentiis allowed for, like, you know, to basically relinquish, like, the rights to Hannibal Lecter. You know what I mean? Like, you know, his specific, like, lets them greenlight sequels and stuff. So they could make, like, Hannibal? Not- exactly. Yeah. So they could, could eventually oh, make Hannibal. Yes. Which nobody wanted. <laughs> No, but was a stupid big hit and took another decade, eight years to get made. Um, Am I I wrong in this, David? Because I know we talked about this in our two previous Lecter episodes we've done. But wasn't it that like because he owned the Manhunter rights, he technically had first right refusal for sequels. For anything to do with Hannibal Lecter, I guess. Right. Right. So it wasn't just that he owned that book, but he had like the default rights for the character, but he didn't hold on to them for silence. Like when they came to him, he was like, Hannibal Lecter movies don't make money. Good luck with that. He passed on Silence of the Lambs, which is why that. But then after Silence was a hit, he still had some stake. They still had to fight him. Right. And, you know, because the other three are all De Laurentiis productions. Right. right? Uh, Yeah, I guess. Uh, Let's see. Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. he did produce Hannibal and Red Dragon and Hannibal Rising, of course. Right. In which Hannibal rose. Just the only one he didn't produce was the one that won Best Picture. Yeah, well, you know what? Like, leave Dino alone. He produced Army of Darkness. You like that yeah, movie? Yeah, no, great choice. Um, great choice. But, but yeah. yes, this movie opens with... I think that's another cut difference, but the... The director's cut has the Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness title card. Right. Does theatrical have that too? I think so, yeah. Okay. Hmm. 
Um, I just, I love that. Yeah. Rather than saying like Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness, uh, uh, yes. you're telling everyone your lead actor's relationship to the title of the movie. Right. Uh, and then you start with him in uh, Stockade. Uh, yes, he's been kid- captured. Uh, they think that he is a spy for Duke Henry, right? The Duke. Uh, yeah. Who is played by Richard Grove, King Arthur, Lord Arthur, whatever they call him. is played by Mark. It's, it's all these English actors. He's like, you know, Jabba Day English actors. Ian Abercrombie, obviously. Ian Abercrombie, yeah. Who, a, a blast. I mean, we all know him best from Seinfeld, right? Yes. Uh, Princess Sheila gets told just kind of, just randomly that her brother's dead. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh <laughs> And uh, with the, the first big sequence is the pit, right? Like that's that's yeah, sort of the, the beginning of the movie. Pit. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do you do the flashback before that, right? right I mean, he start. has yeah, his like. Yeah. I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. Right. It's just funny to drop you in to the deep end of this movie and be like, "What is this modern guy doing in barracks? What is happening here?" We didn't see how he was apprehended. Then you flash back to reshooting these scenes for the third time. <laughs> now with Bridget Fonda, abbreviated. And then sort of just filling in a little bit like, right, he landed here in this time period and he's just fucking been been tortured since then. Everything's been going wrong. And this is his first big test. Uh, yes, he's thrown into the pit. He's fighting a deadite. Uh, two? Two? Two, dead, two deadites? Two pit witches, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ben, you're pro pit. Do you want a, a town pit to throw people in? No, I mean, that's quite extreme. I'm not of the opinion that <laughs> <laughs> we need to uh, sacrifice humans for entertainment You just sounded purposes. excited about the pit, Ben. That's all. I, I am was just excited, to... though, about not necessarily a killing pit, but I think having a town pit would be a great thing and a fun... Like, what did you do today? I, I was in a pit. David... That was quite extreme of you to suggest that producer Ben, a man who earlier talked about his desire to have his own skeleton army, would want a pit. Absolutely. It's also a, like a trash What would make compactor. you jump to that conclusion? It's a spike trash compactor pit. That's true. It's a Sarlacc pit and it's the trash compactor from the Death Star in one. Mm, right. You have that first great bit where they throw the guy in and then the blood just like <laughs> explodes out of it. Like it's a fucking splash zone at SeaWorld. <gasps> Classic Evil Dead. And then he's up next. Yes, yes. Just just blood operating however blood needs to operate. Um, but but it's it's a fun action sequence. It is funny for how much like the iconic image of Ash is him in the tattered shirt with the leather straps and the chainsaw. It is only the very end of Evil Dead 2 and the very beginning of Army of Darkness. Oh yeah. He gets rid of the chainsaw right away. Yeah. Even though it changes into a new tunic. On the poster, yeah. obviously. Iconic yes. poster. Him with the chainsaw. He's out of gas, right? You know, that's the, that's the yeah. great tagline. Right. The most ripped. Like, they had to give him Arnold body. The Frazetta poster you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And there's the other one where it's, like, him, like, with his arms thrown up in the air. Like an agony where his his chest is even more extreme. He looks like Conan the Barbarian or something. I think that's actually a confusing yes. poster for Army of Darkness. I do too. Yeah. But but I think Dino did the Conan movies, right? He must have just gone like, I know what sells. Well, especially. <laughs> Make him look like the Barbarian. I mean, if, have you seen the international poster? Which is. That's the one I'm right, talking about. Right, exactly. Which mu- it must be by. That guy must be. Literally the guy who did those. Yeah, right. He did Red Sonia and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at these. Yeah, because oh. on the international poster, you can't even see his face. No. It's just like he looks like He-Man. He does look a little He-Man. What's in his other arm? 
Oh, it's, the cha- a, oh, yeah, a, yeah, it's a shotgun and the chainsaw, chainsaw and the boomstick. Yeah, yeah, the boomstick, right? Yeah, and there's no shirt; it's just the straps on the chest. Yeah, with the with the sort of um, the he's got like straps across them, so it's it looks very Conan. Yeah, yeah. like a harness. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, he is celebrated as a hero because he he blows up a deadite. Right, like you know, this is the right. oh right. Well, yeah, this is where he meets either Ian Abercrombie. Right, it gives him the whole Necronomicon. You know. Uh, spiel. Everyone hates the Duke and Beth Davids thinks that uh, he killed her brother and Arthur hates him and they think that Ash is a spy working in cahoots with the Duke. It's like the Brits versus the Scots kind of deal. Right. Sure. I, um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say what Ash proves his worth and defeats the, the Pit Witches and gives his whole spiel that even knows by heart that he's able to sort of say like, here are my terms. I'm in charge now. Let the Duke go treat me like a King and then help me get back to my time. Um, yeah. Yes. I want to read this wonderful quote from Ian Abercrombie, who seems like a real, he, I know he's dead now, but seems like one of those classic, like guy who would have some good stories, right? Like, you know, g- grew up in Britain did all kinds of stuff before he becomes like a comic actor late in life. Yeah. Yes. And also like one of those guys who you could imagine being really ornery about the fact that he was never taken as seriously as like John Houseman or whatever. And then instead is right. just like, no, I did like fun comedy and genre movies and whatever, like has that kind of pedigree, but, but doesn't seem self-serious. And you know, he, uh, he voices Palpatine in the, the Clone Wars cartoons. Oh. I do know that. And he yes. played Alfred on the weird failed Birds of Prey TV show. Oh, oh man, he enough. did a fairy tale theater. Uh, yeah. Oh, His man. career is wild if you look at it. Yeah. You know, he was in the Wizards of Waverly Place a lot, like late in life. Anyway, <gasps> lovely, lovely quote from him. Mm-hmm. About about Sam Raimi, he's grounded in his roots. That's why he's surrounded by his friends. That's why he has Bruce. Sam's success is because he's very grounded and he works really hard. He delegates authority, but when it comes to bottom line, he's at the helm. He listens. He has no patience for slackers, and he's got this cherubic face like a choir boy gone wrong. That's my <laughs> reference for him. I always say he reminds me of a choir boy who's done something naughty. That is Sam Raimi's. He uh, said Sam Raimi through the eyes of Ian Abercrombie. That's all. That's wild. He's oh, he's a, he, he's so good in Seinfeld. I I I I love him in Seinfeld. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and he's great in this. He's sort of the Merlin figure, I guess. Right? Is the this kind of his vibe? Yeah, it's just so funny. It, it is just kind of impossible to imagine a major studio today, even if you have someone like Dilarantis putting up half the budget. Greenlighting a movie like this where there are no stars, where you're just like, you imagine they would get someone who was on 90210 to play Sheila, or you imagine they would get someone who had been nominated for an Oscar to play the Ian Abercrombie part. And instead, it's sort of like all jobbing foreign actors and Bruce Campbell. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Um, So he tells him, you got to go get the book, right? Go into the yeah. forest, find the Necronomicon, oh, well, say these really special quick, words. I want to yes. shout out the building of the hand montage. Oh, cool. yeah. Incredible. Those montages, yeah, it's it, it just like the budgets get you know, bigger. 
equipment gets better, but man, that the third time around, it's so good. It's so they well really done. draw it out. It's so yeah, long too. That blacksmith character rules. with the really long thing mustache is great. Yeah. And that that second scene, I mean, you talked about it. We talked about it earlier, but like when he's sort of luxuriating with the grapes and the women, and then <laughs> the the that deadite transformation happens, and he realizes like I gotta just fucking get this thing in motion. Ah, uh, um. Side note, uh, the trilogy of uh, Siskel and Ebert reviews of these three movies mm-hmm. is are very funny. Uh, on They're all on YouTube. Um, but it's just basically them constantly like not liking the movies and then pretending later like they liked them, but they don't <laughs> like the new one. Oh, like uh, for every sequel, they're like, we all yeah. loved Evil Dead 1, of course. <laughs> but uh, uh, okay, okay. It's my favorite kind of phenomenon. I feel like you oh, yeah. see that with all like horror sci-fi franchises from like respectable critics in the 80s where they're like, how I long for the halcyon days of Friday the 13th part one. <laughs> right. And then you read the review and they're like, utter contemptible trash. Lowest <laughs> common denominator filth. Oh, but Ebert just is really into the... Um like that montage you're talking about, Ben. And he, he is talking about in Evil Dead 2 that he thinks it's an homage to um, a taxi driver. Oh, interesting. That, mm. that, that, that's what he's doing. Um, hmm. And he really, he really leans into like the, the slapstick stuff. Siskel never, Siskel is really grouchy about the movies. <laughs> he gets it, really it, mad. It's just funny that this movie like has totally abandoned horror from its dna outside of it being a monster movie right Mm -hmm. like it's like it's slapstick adventure now with like a monster sort of covering yeah like when you finally meet the army of darkness in the last like 20 minutes they're not scary they're the opposite of scary no and evil dead 2 is straddling that line in a really interesting way and in this one they're never positioning anything as being scary no Mm -hmm. this film this film has yeah, right. This is a, a consistently the scares are down with everyone in this series. That's the haunted the haunted forest at this point in this movie is when you would like rub your hands together with glee with like, oh yeah. great, like a lot Here of fun go. stuff is about to happen. They're right? playing Freebird. Yeah. <laughs> um and I mean it might be it's probably my favorite part of the movie. All that. Like, you know, the little guys, all, all, you know, all, all the, all the Ash stuff here. It is funny for how big the final, like, third of this movie gets that it doesn't get any better than him just fucking alone in a shed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I know. Oh, and, and bad Ash, like, hanging off of him, like, in your uh, background, David. Oh, evil Ash. Oh, so and evil even, Ash. like, you, you put aside how technically complicated it is to do this kind of acting. It's also just hard to do multiple weeks of responding to nothing it probably helps you play crazy though right helps you if you're like yeah you know if you're if you're doing the bruce campbell thing if you're you're trying to act like you're going mad acting against nothing there, there's yeah. a great quote that jj pulled up here from uh if chins could kill uh, the book uh, we discussed at length in the Evil Dead 2 episode. Uh, his quote was, he said, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, those numbers barked out via megaphone by an effects assistant, all correlated with specific movements of an animated skeleton that I had to interact with, in this case during a surge fight. At 34, I had to arrive at a critical mark on the floor. At 35, I turned towards a specific spot on the rear screen since I couldn't actually see the skeleton. At 36, I duck a swipe from the skeleton. As I rose, a live-action puppet skeleton attacked 
attacked me from behind. I have about 2.5 seconds to fend him off before number 40 when I take a swing at the animated skeleton. By 42, the beast would be defeated and I'd be off to the next fight. So it really is like, it's like fucking like musical choreography. But you add into that, there's so many ways that the effects can go wrong, that the gags can go wrong, even if he gets it right. And then when you get to a sequence like him with the mini ashes, what he's reacting to is like five other performances that he had to give that all needed to interact with each other oh god he's amazing he's amazing he is amazing and it's 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 a it's it's like balletic what he's doing yes it kind of makes sense to me that that this was kind of in a way his his um intro or his audition for like television like lower budget action mm. like briscoe county jr right and hercules and, and Zena, and and hercules yeah. yeah 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 that you it's all this stuff but i i guess at this point he was such a pro that i bet he could just run in do literally anything <laughs> and and would be no it would probably be easier than what he had to do in this movie that's what i'm saying it, it is so funny that those shows broke out so much bigger in the popular culture than any of his movies. And that's running concurrent with him sort of making this pivot to like more adult, respectable films. And they like those shows become these huge money makers that have like taken his style and his sort of format and applied it to like a formula and a medium perhaps that was like more accessible to children and genre fans. And then right when it felt like the transformation had been complete where it's like one side of Sam Raimi's persona is like mogul. And he's got this whole thing running and now he's become a respectable like movie star director for adult dramas and thrillers and stuff. Then like Spider-Man comes around and it's like you got to you're back in. Now we're putting everything back together again. Yeah. But the TV side is kind of where he gets to hide Bruce for a while. Yes. Right. It's yes. like his his terrarium for Bruce. Yeah. I, he's a, he, he recently he was in Lodge Forty Nine, right? People really praised oh, his work on that show. So good, he's so good on that. And when he, it's so perfect when he shows up. You're like, of yeah. course it's Bruce Campbell, and then he's just incredible on it. It's so he's so funny. I I mean, obviously he did Ash versus Evil Dead. It's, I, I'm wondering, yeah, like what I need more Bruce lately. Like, well, you know, give, give me give me more of that. You're, for, you're forgetting uh, 111 episodes of Burn Notice, which oh, also I'm not resulted. I'm not there forgetting. Were, he was great on that show. I mean, that show is there, a while ago now, but yeah. He did a Burn Notice spinoff prequel, right? Did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Burn Notice, The Fall of Sam Axe. Thank that you. That was a, a, a TV movie, but yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and no, I, I look, Burn Notice is one of those shows that I never watch consistently at all. But I think I I may have lived with someone who watched it at some point. Something like It was occasionally on. And every time I would be like, Campbell's eaten. Like, if, if nothing else, yeah. Bruce Campbell knows exactly what he's doing on this thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, there were, there was, he was an old secret agent in, I want to say, Miami, right? Yeah. I remember yeah. a lot of Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. It was, yes, it was Miami. It was that classic yeah. USA thing where they were like, plot 
Schmott, what beachside location will this be set in? <laughs> like, he's he's a sports doctor. Fine, I don't care. Is it in the Hamptons? Okay, good. Green light. <laughs> like, please continue. <laughs> like, that's fine. He must have had the best fucking time working on that show. Like, can I you mean, think about just Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Campbell? You get yeah. to be elder oh, yeah. statesman. You're the fucking cocky, confident, like, does, know-it-all guy. Doesn't he feel like someone who walks into a hotel and has a whole, like, knows exactly how to be in a hotel because he's like yeah. king of the convention Miami it's like hotel city the, the guy was probably having so much fun in the hotels of Miami and he lives in the Rogue Valley he lives like where my mom lives in uh, Ashland Oregon he lives like outside Medford so he basically like lives in like a weird part of Oregon where he can like That's cool yeah like he ride can, horses uh, ride horses he can probably right. whitewater raft around or whatever oh. and then he flies to miami stays in a cool hotel and does burn notice it's pretty nice campbell bruce campbell campbell i mean i think i've said this but every single convention that i've either worked at or gone to as a fan when he was there and low bar, what I'm about to say, he's so far and away the best dressed person in the entire vicinity. <laughs> like he really, he dresses up for each one of those things like it's the fucking prom. Oh, oh, his wife's a costume designer. Really? This makes so much sense because he's yeah. got these suits that look like they're custom made. He's got oh, like yeah. shiny, almost Elvisy suits. That's cool. I didn't know his wife was it, and she he married her right around now, right around Army of Darkness time. They got married in 1991. Cool. Yeah, and she worked on this movie. In fact, she is. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right. So yeah, he goes to to get that neck. He does the. He fucks up Klatow, Barada, and Nikko, right? Mm-hmm. But he he can't. He yeah. doesn't say it right. right. Classic Ben moment. He yeah. he 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 didn't read the last. It's like when my entire class went to see the stage production of Nicholas Nickleby because we were reading the book. And you know mm-hmm. how like Nicholas Nickleby the play is like seven hours long or like you have to see it all day. Mm-hmm. No, I I don't know. But well, all right, <laughs> keep going. At the end, when the big twist was revealed, my entire class gasped, like revealing that we no one had finished Nicholas Nickleby. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> actually was surprised. Oh, that's funny. That's... Right. Oh, you're and the all teachers were so trouble. bad. Right, yes. That's so we were like, keep Wait. it inside. <laughs> I don't actually want to spoil Nicholas Nickleby for anyone on this podcast, but it has a big twist at the end. And we were all like, oh my God. <laughs> like, anyway, I so. own the, the Roger Reese DVD of the play, but I have not yeah, watched absolutely. it. So now I, now I might. I will. I highly recommend it. It is very much a stage experience, like it's done in this very cool way. But I bet you it's like you know the production is cool, and obviously that was like that was Roger Reese's. That was what made him right. Was that it's was the made filmed play? Like they yeah. filmed the stage yeah, version yeah, no, of right. it. So. The, the national or the RSC. Yeah. It's eight and a half hours long. That's how long. It Jesus. Was. Right. Yeah. Damn. You had to like you went and you like had dinner in the middle. That was like how it was done. It's like Gats. Like Gats, which I also saw. Or uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, three of the most important works of <laughs> dramatic literature. <laughs> exactly. Uh, three Tony winning things. I don't, I don't think that's one of Tony. I actually. love that that show, when it got announced, she was like, it has to be two parts. You don't understand. It has to be two separate shows. It's just, There's no way to contain the story in one night. And then the thing shuts down for the pandemic for like fucking 15 months. And she's like, yeah, I came up with some cuts. It's now one 90 minute show. Look, it I is? don't. N- well, the- in, 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 on Broadway, it is now one show. And in London, you can see it as two shows. I will say my brother, who is a cursed child 
mega fan says the ver- uh-huh. the the one the one show version of it is like completely awful. Like the, it only works as two shows. Yeah. I like the merch. You need it for the merch. You need to do the merch change. I know other spoilies, but there's a merch change that happens midway through, and if you don't get that. It's not cool. You got to do a transition. You're touching my language is, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That show is a real. It is almost like podcast the ride material and how. Yeah. Anyway, uh, different <laughs> podcast. Um. So he it, gets, and it's it's in the fucking Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark Theater. Oh yeah. Uh, is it? They. I mean, they. Uh, yeah. It, that makes sense because they would have had to use the biggest. Uh, that was the whole point right. of Turn Off the Dark, right? They needed the absolute biggest space possible. I forget what that theater is. It was the American Airlines Theater or whatever. They should call right. it the Spider-Man Theater. They should name it after <laughs> Spider-Man like he was August Wilson or whatever. And they should have a statue of Spider-Man outside of it, I think. They should. Like, there should be like, an Al like, Hirschfeld of Spider-Man with a broken back. Uh, People have to fly. Is... You have to fly things. If you have to you fly have to things, fly. you go to that theater. You could at that um, theater. So he... You know, because he fucks up, right? He raises the <laughs> army of darkness, right? That's it. The and then the last half hour is just the battle. Well, oh, wait, come on. I love that. He no, I'm not. I'm not first. saying we're done. Oh, I'm just okay. saying no, like no. that. That's the rest of the plot. Yada yada. Yeah, I would do the same thing the, too. You know, yes, yeah. Even if I did raise the dead, I would be like, yeah, everything was fine. <laughs> right. uh, you, you would not own up. Nothing to Nothing really it. came up. Uh, can right. you send me back to my time? <laughs> yeah, nothing to report. But it's it's the point you made, Eva, of like, it's incredible how much this movie leans into him being an asshole, where the first two movies he was like a goof, right? And Uh especially with the fish out of water premise of this movie, there's a version of it where you're like, he's like a modern guy who's in over his head and he's panicking, right? And the comedy comes from him trying to like keep it under control, but he's like a nebbish or whatever. And in this, he just fucks up with such arrogance and then comes in and is like, yeah, no, no, I got this. I can I can talk my way through this. And then when things go wrong, he's like defensive that people are angry at him for (laughs) fucking up and lying about it. Yeah. Oh, it's just like the entire way they justify it is like this guy works at like a Walmart and he thinks he's a stock boy. <laughs> and he's a, and he's an asshole about that too that he brags to these medieval people about the Walmart he works at. But but I do think it's almost like you know, like he's like this weird anti Ripley where like Ripley becomes sort of like more focused and sort of like primal and heroic the more she like survives all these alien attacks and like you said asterisk gets broken like it just becomes bravado (laughs) in the place of anything else because all of his emotions have just been like stomped out yeah the sweet beta ash from the first one who hid the little necklace and he's dead he's gone he's such a goofus in the early movies right he doesn't really have this energy in either i mean certainly not in the first one right but in the second one of the sort of like all right i got this like he's not like that in evil dead 2 at all right no he's a little bit like of a dick when the people show up at the cabin yeah at that point he's he's cut his hand off and he's like shut up Uh, (laughs) no one's going anywhere but this is a new ash right he's more badass there than he is like uncouth in this you know yeah hello mr fancy pants like what the fuck that's the first thing he says to anybody (laughs) right he's got like asshole like gym coach energy in this (laughs) yeah he's a bully right he's a bully who like never got over being the high school quarterback he still wants to big time everyone, but with like, hey, the he's slickness going through of a it, guys. used car salesman. <laughs> no, I'm sympathetic. I mean, I still love him. He's still good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bully Ash. 
It's great. It's final Ash form until the video games and TV shows. I mean, the last line of the movie is him saying hail to the king. <laughs> and kissing a strange woman. Yeah, give me some sugar, baby. He's going to have to kill her. I'm just like looking at these lines. Yo, she bitch, let's go. <laughs> like, they're just so <laughs> blunt. Do you uh, think that that is essential to Ash's character, Eva? Like, no matter who he falls in love with, they will eventually turn into a monster he has to decapitate or whatever. Yeah, that's his curse. That's like the cosmic... That's the cosmic horror of Evil Dead, right? Because right, it's like, right. that's, that's the Lovecraftian horror. Is like, you you fall in love, you have to decapitate your girlfriend, and then she makes fun of you right, with her head forever until you yes. move to a new location. He's always going to be a badass hero, but he will always be, right, essentially, like, yelled at by his girlfriend corpse. That's interesting. He, he will always have to steer the helicopter car out of the way from chopping his girlfriend into a million parts. Yes. Well, but then why doesn't he bring, you know, Sheila with him, I guess, is my question. Well, he Sheila's just... got something going on here. Yeah, but it's just pillow talk, baby. Like, I think yeah. the new Ash can't be tied down. So maybe right, the, the right. new girl will survive because new now Ash just, like... He's a fuck boy, right? But maybe he has to be. He's the one guy who actually is like, I have to be a fuck boy. If I if it gets serious with me, you're gonna turn into a monster. You know what? Literally, want if this. I buy you jewelry, <laughs> right? Exactly. You don't want to know what the next thing, the next five things will happen to you. But you end up in hell. Screaming. You end up in hell, but also it's kind of funny. It's kind of you know. <laughs> kind of got like a sort of slapstick vibe it's sort of cartoony and cool but you'll you will be, horny. be dead <laughs> you'll be right. horny yeah, but yeah. dead yeah horny great bits but very dead um, it is funny like I mean Raimi still oversaw the reshoots when they did the new ending and other stuff it yes, wasn't yes they just choice. had like different crew and or whatever and right. they had to like rush it yeah but it, but it wasn't something I mean it was he was told he had to come up with a new ending but it was an ending that he designed and he's always yes. said when people ask like canonically which is the definitive ending like what for you do you think is the true fate of ash and ash versus evil dead makes it the the smart ending uh but up until that point he was like i just think it's kind of appropriate that this guy has like two alternate realities and one of them is just he suffers more and the other one is like a parody of an action movie right yeah he actually he gets a break but it's almost like you can just see the seams of his world now. He just seems right. like he's in a movie. Yeah, there's a there's a Twilight Zone ending that's like the the you know tragic irony, and then there's the other ending that is like the joke is that he gets his hero moment, but once again he's a forty year old stock boy. Like nothing right. about this is actually cool. And and a thing I like that the TV show does is it's like they could have had so much happen to Ash in the like twenty years in between, and they're like, no, he's still working at the store. <laughs> He's not even, like, really risen through the ranks that much. He still has the same amount of arrogance. He tells everyone all these things he used to do. But it's just like, yeah, then why are you working at a fucking S-Mart, dude? Yeah. But he also, like, the other... I mean, it is, like, him being tortured in the future or... He's he's the king. He's a badass. He's getting to get laid. He killed that evil dead. But the evil dead are never going to stop coming for Ash. I think that's the... The other implied ending right. is like he didn't just yeah, bring back cursed. one evil dead. He fucked up the thing and they're always going to come. They're always going to come for Ash. Yes. And also even in the realities where he's a hero and he's a badass, never 
always more in his own mind than in the eyes of others. Like mm-hmm. it becomes almost like a defensive posture. Yeah. To, to mask like the sadness of like, yes, right. Anyone he ever loves is, is going to lose him and then fuck with him. Especially, yeah, again, again, the Deadites have no rules. When and how they pop up is, you know, kind of whatever. How they spread or how they infect is never really clear. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's just it's, it's this like is a bully picking on a kid because them crying is funniest, <laughs> right? It's just like it's. I mean, this kid's the dorkiest, but like he reacts the worst. Or it's like all the nerds got powerful and are picking on the bully. Like they <laughs> right. got the bully right. trapped and they're like. fucking torturing him because they because they're like you think you're so fucking handsome yes and we're gonna just punch you and punch you and punch you forever which is also like the subtext of the the whole franchise is like obviously bruce campbell is a mensch and their dear friend but it does kind of like hear all the like nerdy sweet boys who are like this fucking avuncular jock wants to play with us yeah from high we're school gonna, like the, our, right. our friend from high school we're gonna yeah if if he wants to like get on our level, then he has to punch himself in that pretty face. <laughs> yes. That moment when he what is it? I think it's the the mini ashes knock him down onto like the welding table, like the iron, and his face is burning. And then he has to take like the little shovel and like <sighs> pry his face off the table like it's a flapjack. <laughs> I'm just I'm 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 just I'm doing what you were doing, Griff. Now I'm just looking at the quotes. Uh, from IMDb. <laughs> you got real ugly. Come get some. Give me some sugar, baby. Like all this stuff. I'm now, I am now, uh, yeah, locking into Axe's more jockey energy with this one. I actually just like, uh, wait, uh, ma'am, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. That might be my favorite. This is another one that's incredible because I can't even track the internal logic of it. When he's being knocked around by the mini ashes. And he says, all right, I'll crush each and every last one of you. I'll squash you so hard you'll have to look down to look up. <laughs> That's like a Daffy Duck thing to say. Yes. And he really is like Daffy Duck getting his beak blown around to the front of his head. All three of these movies are like duck amok. Like the ultimate part of the comedy is imagining Sam Raimi giggling behind the camera. Yeah, what he's going to do to Bruce and how much Bruce is going to hate shooting it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and as Ben mentioned, the fucking bringing in a Mad Max car to top everything off. Uh, yeah, well, he's he's got he's got his Delta eighty eight, of course, the classic <laughs> uh, Sam Raimi car. That's, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's in all his movies, right, Griff? That's, that's yeah. his thing. It's his Hitchcock cameo thing, into, it's, right? It's like, Uncle Ben's his, car his in Spider Man. Um, Wait, one more I just remembered is when Sheila right. knits him <laughs> knits him a gift. He goes, "Good, I could use a horse blanket." <laughs> so me yeah yeah he's a good he, he good ends up negging. kissing her like a kind of against her will maybe his seduction of her is insane because in the director's cut too it's a full sex scene like oh, it wow. goes from that kiss to then just like a full like cinemax like not that's explicit but that kind of like gauzy lighting them in silhouette by candle oh i gotta watch this director's cut now it's good. I, mean, I think I think the ethical cut is just smoother. <laughs> right. And and it's what you're used to. So the director's cut might feel lumpier because of that. Yeah. I guess. But it's fun to watch just like every additional idea and gag and shot and all that stuff. Um I wanted to say the the mask for the like leader of the Deadites. 
mm-hmm. whatever that design. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Um, is that also Ash? Is that the Ash yeah, that he buried? Right. So is yes, Bruce Campbell also Ash. playing that? C- correct. He's playing. He, oh, God. So when he, when he has a day off from playing the hero of the movie, he then has to undergo like four hours of prosthetic makeup. Penguin level. It's incredible. And I, I love the weird puppet skeleton evil Ash at the end as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. I think we, we've, we've lavished so much praise on him, but I guess this is us saying it's not like he's not going to pop up in other Raimi's, but it's always small roles, right? Like he never has a big role with Raimi after this. I'm just triple checking that. But yeah, right? Was this the biggest flop? Like... Does, no, is it, this... was, it wasn't a flop exactly, but I, it underperformed. We'll get to the box office game in a second, but like it made basically its budget back, and I think Universal wanted it more to do at least like twenty to thirty million. You know, do like dark a little man more. Like, yeah, Dark right. Man. Yeah. The weird thing I, I remember reading uh, either Campbell or Raimi talk about in an interview was like two or three years after this movie came out, maybe even a little bit later, Universal called them up and was like uh the home video numbers on this movie are like bizarrely strong right. like this thing has uh, finally gone into profit many times over would you guys be interested in doing a direct-to-video army of darkness too and they were like army of darkness is evil dead three what do you mean <laughs> army of darkness two and they didn't know like, whoever that wow. person was at Universal was just like, we have this bizarre one-off movie that performs really well on home yeah. video. We can't stop re-releasing it. Why haven't we done another one of these? But but that's sort of more the missed opportunity for me is, like, I don't understand why Bruce Campbell didn't get to make, like, three more movies like this. Yeah. You know, even if it wasn't with yeah. Raimi. It's like there should have been guys who were sort of like Raimi acolytes directing like, can you make an $8 million? Bruce Campbell is like a goofball asshole fighting some genre element. Like a better trauma. There should have been just like a trauma for Bruce Campbell movies. Right. Full moon. Like I, I was just thinking about all these sorts of like studios like that that really made their money on home video and... Just doing it at like maybe not half of this budget, which would still be 20 times more than a Toxic Avenger, but just make the movies with him as this guy, even if it's not Ash, like just kind of the the movie star archetype that he's created for himself. I wish there was just more of these, you know? I'm also surprised that all those guys that wrote on Briscoe County, like J.J. Abrams and stuff, didn't didn't use him more. Yeah, like like as as they got big, like the Carlton Carlton Cues, Cues, those guys, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, it's the Bruce Campbell thing of people cheerfully taking for granted. I guess of like, well, you're Bruce Campbell. You'll be fine. You're doing great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe Maybe, that's true. And maybe he is doing fine. And he doesn't want you know. And obviously, he he found TV in the '90s, and he he like is sort of a pioneer on that front in a weird way. Like, but. But yeah, maybe maybe Bruce Campbell's sitting there thinking like, why didn't I get to do X, Y, Z? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, Raimi obviously loves his friends. He puts R- Bruce Campbell in lots of other movies, it's, but mm-hmm. he never does this again with him. But, but I think uh, I was, yeah. sorry, I think yeah. I was wrong about J.J. Abrams. It was just Carlton. It's sorry. just Carlton Cuse, but no, but yeah. there is someone else. I mean, like, well, I obviously Carlton Cuse is the big 
is the big thing about that movie but yeah maybe that is it i don't know um that's the funniest part though with loss is like didn't damon lindelof work on like nash bridges or whatever like yeah well that was, was carlton Cuse's show too right that was that right. was it right that was how yeah. they knew each other and like it's just funny that abrams is was such a big guy and uh, you know he creates the show and he's like yeah let me get my friend from nash bridges and he's gonna get his friend from nash bridges and they'll run <laughs> like the most heady like sci-fi work on tv in a generation that like changes how people think about this stuff I'm saying, like, get Campbell on the island, you doofuses. I know. I I just, it feels like there is still so much untapped that the guy can do. And it's one of those things where you, like, can't be totally, like, angry about it because he has had a robust career. And he's done all sorts of different things. But you do watch something like this and you're like, no one ever lets him, like, be a five-tool player the same, to the same degree that Raimi did. Right, and right, right. Yeah. just appreciating how how what a comic genius he is. Yes, which yeah. is which I feel like he had he got the three movies to like prove himself more and more each time, and then by this one it's just it's it's purely just he is a like physical comedy, and he's yeah all types of comedy but like master master of comedy. JJ pulled this up in the dossier. Like most of the reviews for this movie were bizarrely uh, negative. Well, and it's like, what he was saying about the Eberts, where they were mad yes. again that it's not Evil Dead Two, even though they were probably not that nice about Evil Dead Two. Yeah, they yeah. weren't. Right. Entertainment Weekly gave it a C plus, and their line was: "The spoofy cast of thousands looks a little too much like a crew of bland Hollywood extras." By the time Army of Darkness turns into a retread of Jason and the Argonauts, featuring an army of fighting skeletons, the film has fallen into a ditch between parody and spectacle. And I'm like, "You're saying this as a negative?" Yeah. And also, yeah, that that sounds like a cool ditch to be in. Right, do you not understand? Like, that's the exact thing the movie's consciously doing. But then uh, JJ pulled up, this is one of the only, like, fully positive reviews was Peter Rayner in the LA Times. And he has this line that's just such a good explanation of the Campbell magic, where he says, uh, uh, he's the perfect actor for Raimi because he's both joke and in joke. He toys with his stalwartness. Mm. Army of Darkness mm, is mostly good. a terrific piece of mindlessness that may not sound like such a great recommendation until you drop in on some of this season's high-minded clunkers. And that two point of just like, right, that's this line that Bruce toes that almost no one else has such control over. And when you add in the technical challenges of the movie itself, it becomes even more impressive. But also like his exact point where it's like, you're fucking ragging on Army of Darkness. What are the like blockbusters that you're giving an easy pass to that same year i think it's, yeah yeah i don't know calling something a retread of jason on the argonauts in the 90s like it's like <laughs> what the fuck i can like smell i can see, like hear the opera glasses like getting pushed up the nose I, like you're what fucking you ta- cynicism that's a, called an homage that's not a yeah. retread like if it's a movie <laughs> from that long ago you are like you're honoring it you're not just like I, ripping it off. You're we're ripping well, and that, off Jason and the saying, Argonauts. Like, this stupid movie doesn't know whether it's a parody or a spectacle. And I'm like, no, maybe it does. Maybe it's playing with that exact balance. Maybe you don't know. Yeah, maybe you should eat a turd. Critics of 1993. Um, I think that that's two, just two, a particular. Two, no, two, no, sorry. but no, Griff. It's like 
those early nineties, it, it's the dawn of like main, you know, indie, indie cinema, right? And all mm-hmm. this intelligence stuff is suddenly flooding theaters, and I think it's just like the height of hold your nose, you know, a, you know, criticism of like you know schlock and blockbusters and right and like this kind of cartoony stuff, right? I I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I just that's how I feel like a lot of this. You know, a lot of the sort of critical establishment was feeling post eighties, right? Post, yeah, you know, guns and brawn, and you know, a lot of like dumb blockbusters. But I, but I, I'm I I'm know. looking for like a counterpoint here, right? I mean, and I don't like the guy who wrote the EW review. I'm not going to say his name. Right? We're not going to say it. We don't need to say it. Someone I like. <laughs> sure. So whatever. I think if you're not paying uh, attention, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> I feel like if you're not paying attention and you don't, you're not in on the joke. You could think army of darkness was like a steven seagal-esque shitty a shitty pastiche yeah right yes or just bad action it's just it is wild to me that like i was looking for a direct counterpoint but uh a cliffhanger comes out like three months after this right and is one of like the highest grossing movies for of the year and the critical response was kind of like yeah it's like a good version of that shitty stupid stuff you know, like everyone kind of gave it this sort of like it's dumb, obviously, but it's like it's like rarefied dumb. Mm. This it's the same story as as Eva mentioned. Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, and Sam Raimi have very similar trajectories. Yes, where they are masters of trash for years. Critics don't really like their movies when they come out, and then when the next movie comes out, critics are like, "This guy used to be good. This one's not that mm-hmm. great." You know, like that's the story over and over. And then in the early two thousands, they reinvent mainstream cinema <laughs> like, yeah, it's so you know, the two of them basically and uh that's what's coming up but obviously Raimi is clearly feels burned by both this and dark man maybe not quite i mean dark man did better than this but like just not quite going over as he would have hoped yeah and yeah. then hudsucker proxy after this being the sort of like oh this is the bad cohen's movie even though that movie rules and but i think that sticks to him that like his friends yeah, have gone does. legit and become so respected and they're finally doing their big collaboration and it's the first of their movies to like be greeted with a resounding thud i feel like um maybe i'm the timeline isn't quite right but i feel like the frighteners and quick and the dead were both completely mm-hmm. rejected Love frighteners. Yeah. And they're both yes. mm-hmm. but incredible that's, movies. That's exactly right. They're, those are both the sort of mid-90s, okay, let's, here's a real budget, do something for me. And both are kind of just spurned at the time. And just in general, everything Raimi does in between Army of Darkness and Spider-Man feels like him grasping at legitimacy. Yeah. And I think all of the movies we're about to discuss are varying levels of good. Mm-hmm. But he's never quite getting clearly like this sort of recognition he wants and then he's like fine i guess you know he then he makes spider-man and that you know then everything is very different after that it was what you said it's that everything that was not taken seriously at the time was canonized and also had become so profitable over the course of a decade the cults for all these things have become so valuable that he like became suddenly a choice of a guy to take over a major franchise for movies that were kind of disregarded when they came out. I'm just, uh, I, I'm looking at the cliffhanger review that Ebert <laughs> wrote, right? So the same year, I'm just sorry, but I just, this feels like such a good counterpoint of like, that was the biggest dumb action movie of that year, right? Sure. You have yeah. things like In the Line of Fire and Fugitive that are more high-minded that same right, year, right. right? But like cliffhanger, everyone who likes it admits that it's junk, right? 
And Ebert's third paragraph, he's talking about how Stallone's had a bad run and all the movies have flopped. And everyone's like viewing this film with a sense of urgency of, is this his final test? And he says, my guess is that it won't flop because it delivers precisely what it promises. It's big budget extravaganza with a lot of stunts and special effects starring Stallone as professional da 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 da. And then his next line is true. There's not a moment in the plot that I could believe. Mm. That didn't bother me for an instant. So he's saying, like, this thing is stupid. It's stupid right. and it makes no sense. But it is delivering the exact thing audiences are asking for. It's delivering on the promise. And I Which think the Army of Darkness Ebert, thing. He would right. have a yardstick for every different, you know, different yardstick for every movie. Which, yeah. I appreciate about sure. him. I, I enjoy sure. that. And I enjoy, like, him giving movies that sort of display of kindness. But I do think part of this movie's... Uh, the confusion it was greeted with is just like, what is the tone of this thing? What What is this? Yeah. Versus yeah, something like yeah. Cliffhanger where it's like, we know it's dumb and we're delivering exactly this kind of dumb movie you've seen before. And critics are like, thank you, six out of ten. It's stupid. Army of <laughs> Darkness, they're like, what is this weird pastiche? Mm -hmm. And I think back to... Uh, uh, Ed, the great Ed Solomon, incredible screenwriter, was on the George Lucas talk show, and he was talking about the process of um, working on Men in Black, which was like a very torturous film, right? That uh, we uh, – David, you and I often talk about uh, in terms of ma being a masterpiece, especially for like films of that size. And I got Tommy Lee Jones on board. I think he signed on before they had Will Smith, and he wanted to go out to dinner with uh, Ed Solomon and maybe Sonnenfeld as well. And they're like having their steak dinner. Tommy Lee Jones seemingly in the same sort of mood that he was when he told Jim Carrey that he wouldn't sanction his buffoonery. <laughs> and they're like, this is like a celebratory dinner. We roped a big Academy Award winning movie star. And Tommy Lee Jones is just kind of like scowling. And then he looks up at Ed Solomon at one point and he goes, so what is it? Mm. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you have to rewrite the script. Is it a comedy or is it a sci-fi movie? Right. And he goes, it's both. And he goes, it can't be po both. You have to pick one, asshole. And it does feel like that's how critics kind of responded to this movie. Right, right, right. Well, but, you know. You have to pick one, asshole. But they're also, like, giving credit to Sylvester Stallone that they would never give to Bruce Campbell. No. And it They're like, Stallone mad. knows what kind of movie star he is. After, after all those years, I guess he'd earned that respect, if, if you can call it that. I don't know. The benefit it's, of the uh, doubt. It's, it's weird. Yes. He's been doing Rambos. I know. That's the reason I wish he had just gotten to make, like, three more of these. Not Ash movies, but Bruce Campbell movie star films within mm -hmm. the studio system at a lower budget. So yeah. that at least, like, his persona could have solidified to a point where critics are like, well, we know what Bruce Campbell does. It's that kind of vibe. Right. Let's play the box office game, Griffin. Let's play the box office game. Okay. Ooh. Uh, Eva, if you know the, the format here, we're going to talk about the box office for February 19th, 1993, which is when Army now, of Darkness David, opened. David, yes. David, do you know what else happens on that day? On February 19th, 1993? No. What happens? It's, it's my birthday. Oh, that's oh. right. Of course. Well, Happy you would have been four years old. In 1993? Is that right? Uh, I, I wanted, you were born in 89, right? Yes, I would have been four years old. Yep. Four years old. You probably yeah. did not see Army of Darkness in theaters, but maybe you saw no, some did. of these no, other no, films. No, no, no. I saw it in theaters. Oh, yeah, I saw sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, uh, 
This film opened number six at the box office to four million dollars. It made eleven and a half total. Uh, uh, so a little underwhelming for nothing. Universal. And it's kind of a February dump after it was supposed to be a summer release that was, got delayed right. because of the Hannibal ship. It was set for July ninety two, and so it's been, yeah. it's coming out a lot later. Right. Um, so number six. So it's not in the top five. Number one, however, is a comedy in its second week of release, a classic. You'd say genuinely, you would say a classic. Yes, one of the greats. I, you're being sincere. Yes, I am very sincere. I love this movie. It's very good. I'm sure you love it too. It stars one of your favorite actors. Is it? Is it a Steve Martin movie? Nope. Oh, is it Groundhog Day? It's Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Yeah. It had pretty to good be. movie. It had to be February. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty great movie. Eva, do you like Groundhog Day? Love Groundhog Day. Who doesn't like Groundhog Day? Superlative film. Yes. I do love that Ash kind of is stuck in a Groundhog Day thing of like the first act of every Evil Dead movie having to put him through the same events over and over again. Cosmic horror, man. Yeah. Yep. It is. Yeah. It is. It is staggering to think about the implications of Groundhog Day all the time. It's so good. Okay. Number two at the box office is Mm -hmm. a film that I'm pretty sure... If I didn't see it in theaters, I saw it pretty soon after. Um, mm-hmm. It's an adventure film, co- okay. comedy, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about animals. Ooh. Is it Homeward Bound? Yes. Can you give me the subtitle? Uh, the Incredible Journey. Yes. The first, oh, the first Homeward yeah. Bound. Of course, the second one, they got lost in San Francisco. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Correct. I definitely saw that in theaters. Yeah. That's the one with the dog and the cat. Two dogs, one cat. Sally Field, Donna Meche, Michael J. Fox. That's correct. Dude, that shit's good. Yeah, that shit rules. <laughs> that shit fucks, to be Does honest. Does it? Like, <laughs> I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but I thought it was really cool when I was yeah, like fucking Chance the dog. Seven. I thought badass. I remember, I thought it was so cool when I was a kid. I just had do they do their mouths move? Do they do the, nope. like the full no. or is nope. it just right? They're just sort of they thinking. do like Garfield style. It's right, like Milo right, and Otis. Right, right. They just think yeah. they can telepathically yeah. speak to each other. Yes, it rules. Yeah, it does. Is it Homeward Bound to the Adventures of Yellow Dog? No, the I think Adventures that's of different. Yellow Dog is something else. What is it that? Is? Uh, what is uh, Far is From Yellow? Home? Far, Far from, from Home. Oh man, so close. The Adventures okay. of Yellow Dog. But that was Similar. another one. There were there were yeah. so many of these kinds of movies because there's the Great Panda Adventure as well, there's right? Benji's. Like, there's, there's a ton of Benji's. Benji. Yeah. Benji um, the Hunter. Just so much. I guess it must have been so annoying to make these fucking movies with these oh, animals, right? The and bear? Homeward Bound the is bear. A, a remake. Oh, the Bart bear. The bear oh, we've talked about in... Bart the Bear. But he's oh, in Homeward yeah. Bound as well. Is he? Does he threaten them I at th- some point? Does he get the and and Bart the Bear as bear? <laughs> he certainly um, is in Homeward Bound, yes. Homeward Bound is a remake of a 60s live-action Disney movie called The Incredible Journey, which is why it has that subtitle, which was, I think, Disney's sort of response to Milo and Otis yes. when that like first wave of like Benji, Milo and Otis uh uh incredible journey whatever and then it felt like that was like they sort of let that lie for 30 years because they were like these things are a pain in the ass to make right maybe we don't need to do this and then the 90s roaring back to life snow like dogs. the final moment snow Air dogs Bud. 
Well, that's when we oh, start to tiptoe into like, can we use CGI? Yeah, Do we not okay. have to put fucking real dogs in front of camera? But that's no, that's the end of that run. That's like late nineties, early two thousands is the yeah. end. Well, so Homeward Bound is number two. It's okay. uh, on its way to a healthy forty one million dollars at the box office. Uh, number three is a costume drama period hmm. film hmm. um set in america though not british okay uh and it's uh it's an adaptation of a famous french story is it dangerous liaisons not dangerous liaisons <clears throat> oh is- oh wait it's a french story uh, hold on french it's it's a remake of a french film it's a remake of a french film yep uh it's not huh. a good movie it's not well regarded uh it, this is not it's this, it's it's not it's not diabolique is it no it's a period it's set right after the civil I, war it's set after uh, the civil war it's a remake of a french film yeah but it's set in the united states yep it's set in tennessee i'll give you the basic movie. premise if you want it yeah, I'm just thinking also about like a period drama that's released in February it, rather than an thing. Oscar season. That's that's right. how you can smell the stink. That's on this what's one. telling. Um, yeah. It's it's a soldier returns home from war. The wife okay. begins to suspect that he is an imposter. It's a return of Martin Gare situation. Weird. Yes. And this movie's a stinker. Does it have big stars in it? Yeah. Yeah. Two big stars. Two big stars. Civil War. Imposter. America remake a French movie. Hmm. What about the director? John Emile, of course. The oh. man only makes hits. Copycat. <laughs> Entrapment. <Yeah>. The core. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fuck. The man in okay, the middle, of course, which we've covered I wa- on this podcast. I watched the core for the Classic. first time recently. Sure. Uh, that movie fucking rips. Yeah. I enough. was like so, so disappointed with Moonfall. That that someone that recommended you, you, the core to me, right, right, right. You wanted something in uh, with that energy, yeah, right. Which like the core, if it came out today, would win Best Picture. Sure, uh, but but I looked at fucking John Emile's filmography after yeah. watching the core. So I've I've looked at the name of this fucking movie in the last two weeks. I'm gonna give you the name because I feel Please. like you're not gonna get it. I'm not gonna get it. The film is Summersby. Oh. Yeah, I was never gonna get that. Richard Gere and Jodie Foster. Yeah, I was never going to get that. Uh, you've also got Bill Pullman and James Earl Jones. Uh, Arlie Ernie is in it. Um, but yeah, it's classic. Sh- you know, is it is it the real guy or is it an imposter? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys know that James Earl Jones did the voice of Darth Vader? You get out of town. <laughs> what are you fucking talking about? You're ben, crazy. Ben, what are you talking about? I mean, this is what we hired. Podcast, <laughs> and I just thought ben. if we're going to, you know, we should mention facts ben, and trivia and stuff. You this know? is why we hired researchers. So we right. don't just make wanton comments like that. That's okay. Actually, yeah, you're right. Me. I should re- double that, check. Yeah. And we need to check that. I'm right. Okay. So I don't think right. number four at the box office is a holdover from Oscar season. It's still hanging okay. around an indie hit uh, mm. that won an Academy Award. Yes. And was nominated for many more. It won one. Won one. Can you tell me what category? Best original screenplay. Best original screenplay. It's too early for Sling Blade. It's far too early for Sling Blade. This I know. Film, I'm just trying to think of movies that had that kind of best original screenplay energy this film indie crossovers. 
kind of, I think, launched the career of Harvey Weinstein, basically, as an Oscar powerhouse. It was a crying game? Early Miramax success. It's the crying game. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yep. And that was a landmark one. Yeah. Absolutely. And then another, and number five, another holdover from Christmas. Uh, It's an animated film. Uh, Is it Beauty and the Beast? Nope. Aladdin? It's Aladdin. Got my years wrong. I was I was getting confused about the this movie being shot in ninety two, released in ninety three. That's right. Uh yeah. Aladdin yeah. number five, fifteen weeks in. It's made $179 million. It rules society, of course. Yeah. Uh you've also it was elected got, president of the United States pr- that movie. Pretty much. Uh Eva, do you have any takes on Summer's Bee, The Crying Game, or Aladdin? I'm not I'm not even asking. Um, I don't like Aladdin. Wow. <laughs> Anti Aladdin. And you don't like it at all, or you think it's overrated? Overrated, yeah. Yes, yeah, like, I, Griff's, Griff's I like it you. less than most. Yeah, too much Robin Williams. I don't like it. I, I, I kind of am inclined to agree, but I also think I still think he's maybe Old the take. best part of the movie. Oh yeah, he is. But uh, I, I think yeah. your uh, episode about Aladdin was better than the movie Aladdin. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I feel like my horny energy was off the charts on that episode. I can't remember though. <laughs> Um, yeah. number six of the box office is Army of Darkness. Number seven, Loaded Weapon One. Mm. Emilio Estevez and Samuel L. Jackson. Written, directed, and produced by producer Ben Hosley is what I'm seeing here <laughs> on the Iron Ben, do you have you do you see have you seen or do you care about Loaded Holy Weapon One? Financed? I haven't seen it. Uh I'm yeah, not familiar fit. with these movies at all. It was a National Lampoon spoof of Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and they only uh, ever made one, Ben. They just yeah. called the first one one. It's a joke about how they are always getting turned into sequels. That's fun. It's funny. Yeah. Is yeah, it funny. is it worth watching? Uh, I don't think so. Nobody liked it. Mm, okay. <laughs> no, nobody liked it. All right. Yeah, it's you, like you sub hot shots, right? So, yeah, hot shots is the better version of that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, or, or, yeah. Or like or, Top Secret. Top Secret's yeah. a good one. When are they going to make Hot Shots part Trey? <laughs> uh, you think Charlie? You want to call up Charlie Sheen right now? Really? I think he's this ready to moment? go. He's never uh, been better. You've also got a couple more Oscar holdovers: "Sense of a Woman," "Howard's mm-hmm. End." You've got Malcolm Ooh, wow. X. You've got the, okay. the the waning days of Muppet Christmas Carol, of course, and "Untamed Heart," the Christian Bale, uh, sorry, Christian Slater, Marissa Tomei movie. Orangutan sort of like heart. Untamed heart. But it, uh, but isn't that about him having an orangutan heart? Does yeah, he right. Have an orangutan it? heart. Yes, a baboon's heart. Yeah. Yes. He, or at least he claims that he has one. I don't know. Because is it a uh, lie? It might be a lie. <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> I think it's. A, apparently, I'm reading the Wikipedia summary. It's a lie that a nun told him in an orphanage. <laughs> Jesus. Are you guys who directed that? What's their series? Are you guys going to uh, do Tony the Bill? Tony Bill. Is the director of this movie? Uh, Do you have time for a miniseries, a Tony Bill miniseries? Uh, Tony Bill produced The Sting, so he he won an Oscar, right? And then he was like, "But what I really want to do is direct." And all the movies he directed are strange. Yeah, the last movie he directed was Flyboys, which was the uh, the fighter pilot movie that was financed by the Ellisons. Because the the one Ellison wanted to be a movie star and he was good at flying planes. The one who now finances half the movies in Hollywood, King of right. Skydance. Yeah. yeah. He also made Untamed Heart, 
I'm joking. Uh-huh. I just uh, he also made my Crazy bodyguard. People. Yeah, you right. know, the, Crazy uh, People. I feel like is a fully hated movie. Okay, with yeah. Daryl Hannah and Dudley Moore. Yeah, he's like the he's the he. Sorry, he's in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Right, he was also a character actor. Yeah, he's Terry. He's like this. He's the guy that cut. Who's like I cut off the. He cut the mattress tag off. He's like that scary guy that ends up. Oh like, yeah, he ends up with yeah, Simone. yeah, sure, right, yeah. Is that that's His him? Career is so fucking strange. Oh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's 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 Tony Bell. Anyway, so that's Untamed Heart. So that's the the weekend. That's that's it. It's a good mm-hmm. weekend. I like it. It's a lot of a lot of weird stuff. I do too. Yeah. I just want to shout out quickly because this is the first episode we've recorded since it happened. But one of our listeners has made a website called boxofficega.me. Box office game with the period in between GA and ME. That's like a Wordle style game where a new box office weekend goes up every night at midnight or 1 a.m. maybe Eastern time. Yeah. Uh, really and you have cool. to guess what the top five movies are. And it's for like a maximum 200 points per movie. But much like David giving me hints, you can like sacrifice points to get the name of an actor or director or genre or whatever it's uh very impressive very addictive it's very cool how it's made and griff seems to be the best person in the world at it but it is great what a surprise what a surprise (laughs) i played one round with no hints and i got just slaughtered i was like i didn't know you could get hints i was like i can never play this game this game is impossible but it's really impressive no i yeah now i'm gonna go back and do it with hints I didn't start uh, sharing my scores until the second day I played because the first day I did that and I fucking belly flopped and I got like 50 points. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of at least give me the tagline. Tagline usually will get me there. You go for tagline. I go for genre. I find that if I have genre and distributor and they give well, you distributor for free, I usually figure it out. That is how I usually start with you as well, I guess. So I yeah, that makes okay, some sense. What's Wordle? Oh, no. <laughs> Come oh, on, no. Ben. Oh, no, Ben. Ben. Come on, you know you know about Wordle. You know, ben, you know about Wordle. Yeah, I do. You're, do you? <laughs> I can't tell if you're bailing no, on a bit it. or you're pretending. You don't have to pretend that you love it, but do you know no, what it is? It's really good. I always get a high score. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. g- good at it. Guys, we're done. My daughter's about to come home from daycare. I got to wrap Humble this brain. up. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking at Ben's top wordle guesses. Dirty, ditch, <laughs> hole, holes, pits, pitses, Pu- pukes, <laughs> bones, armies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's good at wordle. Uh, Eva, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of this podcast, and it's just so I was so I've been so excited about this for so long. So I really, and you got me to do a cool movie too. I mean, I'm so happy. I mean, you'll be it, back, but geez, back. I was uh, very thrilled to learn that you listened to this podcast. I was sort of like, <laughs> I can't believe it. No, yes. we, we we truly, anytime you are on one of the podcasts we listen to, Dave and I always go like, she's just the best. Like her, her episodes always are like standouts. And the second we heard that you liked the show, we were like, well, the long overdue to get her on then. We just didn't want to ask because we were intimidated by you until no! you made it clear that you listened. Um, I do. I just, 
I just want to very quickly say I, I give you credit for warping my brain in a bad way for being obsessed with trying to find the Moon Maid uh, Dick Tracy book. But you said something on some pandemic episode of Doughboys that I truly I'm not being hyperbolic here is like the mantra I have kept in my head throughout these last two horrible years. And one of the few things that kind of kept me sane where I think you were talking about baking and, and projects you had done when uh, you were in lockdown and Mitch was like shitting on himself for like not taking on a pandemic hobby or whatever. And you said the way I'm going to paraphrase here, but you said something to the effect of the way you win the pandemic isn't by how well you use your time during the pandemic. The way you win the pandemic is making through it alive. And I was very similarly dealing with that, like, I'm a piece of shit and other people are becoming more functional during this to distract themselves. And I have just, like, broken as a person. And I, I, it is a thing I repeated myself a lot of just, like, the only goal here is to stay alive and get through this fucking horrible, unprecedented thing in terms of modern history. So thank you truly from the bottom of my heart for saying that because it gave me a lot of value. Thank you for saying that, Griffin. That really means a lot. And and you guys uh got me through a lot of pandemic just by being uh fun friends in my ears so i appreciate i always like to hear that that always makes you feel nice yeah Yeah. i also think it's just that our show's too long i mean people give us more credit for helping them get through the pandemic just because it takes less blank check episodes per day than most shows but you you also there's the project you get to watch the movie you get to like make a little day of it it's so it's just really it feels communal and uh it's lovely. So I appreciate you guys That's a lot. Very kind of you to say. And I want to say thank you for your kind words and thank you to our listeners. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery, the great American novel for our theme song, JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research alex baron aj mccann for our editing you can go to blankcheckpod.com with links to all the things connected to our podcast that i no longer have to call out individually over on blank checks special features the patreon account patreon.com slash blank check we're doing the matrix we went back to the matrix that's right that's a thing you can listen to if you yeah we're want almost to. done with it in fact in fact matrix resurrection is coming in fact, up it's coming up and that's a wild one yeah, uh, that's a riffy, we... riffy one riffy yeah. yeah uh they call me griffin but david was riffing in that one um god we have to fucking end this uh tune in next week for the quick and the dead yep yes very exciting so good so i've never seen it i'm very excited to watch it russell crowe is so hot in that movie so you gotta give Sam Raimi credit. He knows how to pick his hotties. Yeah, female gaze. But Russell Crowe, yes. make it Sam. Russell Crowe in the nineties, just just my favorite, biggest crush. David so is fanning himself. Fanning he's got as floppy he's hair. Too sweaty. He's, he's covered in dirt. He's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. I love him. I love the man. <laughs> David, bigger, smaller crush than Miss Honey. This <laughs> honey's very specific. I think I think we go for Russell Crowe. Ship but, them, uh, fair but, enough. You know. Ship them together. Yeah, why not? Oh, that's, why not? That's Fire and ice. Idea. Yeah, make yeah. them kiss each other. Smooch, smooch, smooch. <laughs> kiss, kiss. All Miss right. Honey, right. six point seven. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Crow, David's. Fire and ice. I think that's a good pitch. That's like a fucking foreign film market pitch if I've ever heard it. And as always, 
I just think there's no more respectful way to finish off our Evil Dead trilogy than by saying groovy. 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 Okay. I don't want to call my shot in advance, but I'm proud of this one. I think this is a clever, a new angle. A new angle? I, I'm not going to talk it up. I may put this at the end of the episode because I think, I think this is, I think I finally found a new angle seven years in. You're going to fall into the episode? Funny. From the sky? Funny. Maybe it's not that new of an angle, but I think it's, oh, okay. it's different. It's different. It's not going to work every time. It works for this one movie. Okay, ready? Yeah. 